guys. Welcome back to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. And we are on episode 19 already. Can't believe it as we move into the month of May in 1996 here in WCW and the WWF. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, Mr. Steve Ekstat. Steve, welcome back to Monday Warfare. Well, thanks for having me, man. Happy to be back. Absolutely. It's always fun to talk a little about uh, 1996 and the Monday Night War, especially where we know where we are. Now we're in May, which means we're creeping up on the NWO and all that good stuff going on. Unfortunately, all of the fallout from the WWF as Hall and Nash go to WCW, we have to cover that here this week. Well, luckily for us, after this, the click is kind of divided into two separate territories or two separate promotions, and they're not as powerful in the WWF moving forward. Thank God for that. Yeah, the um. new, you know, I wanted to get right to the shows, but the news, the chaos, Steve, that they caused right before they left, has to be mentioned. It just has to be covered. And so that's that's just, oh, yeah. I, I, I have to do it. Uh, it's it's pathetic. It's sad. It's disgusting. And uh, <laughs> we'll get to it as the show goes on. I can't but wait yes, to talk about it. Absolutely. We're going to do. let talk about it. Yes. And we're going to do two more episodes of Nitro and two more episodes of Raw this week. And this will be the last week we do that. And I'll explain why at the end of the show. But for now, we better jump into things as we head into the middle of May in 1996, WCW News, WCW announced on May 8th that it was expanding its Monday Nitro show to two hours, Steve, from 8 p.m. Eastern Time, of course, till 10 o'clock every night, and it begins May 27th following the NBA playoffs. The expansion of the show had been somewhat in the works for a while, says DeMeltz. This is good. But it wasn't expected to take place until the beginning of the fall television season in late August or early September. That's not the fall television season, Dave, but... I can't wait to get to the next point. The decision to do so immediately the first week of t after TNT commitments to the NBA playoffs and are over what DeMel says is no doubt came as a response to the May 6th television ratings where Nitro in a 7 p.m. time slot did a 1.9 rating while Raw did a 4.1. It's uh, second highest ever, I believe, at the 9 p.m. time slot. So that's what DeMel says. This was originally planned to debut the two hours in the fall and they 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 got scared and and panicked and created this made it jump they jumped ahead june july four months steve because they can just do that apparently well guess what i went on over to eric bischoff's podcast and if bischoff is anything he's pretty honest brutally honest sometimes and he calls bullshit he by might i add i one thing i do love about some of those guys the, you know conrad's in it for to make friends you know he he doesn't want to rock the boat, Conrad Thompson, with, with Dave Meltzer. But the guys that he talks to, Bruce Pritchard, Eric Bischoff, those guys have no love lost for Dave Meltzer. And they make it very well known on their, <laughs> on their programs. And Conrad read this paragraph to Eric Bischoff on the show, and Eric Bischoff went off. He called absolute bullshit. He said it was never discussed to come out in the fall. That was, the, that was Meltzer just hypothesizing, you know, making shit up. Like you, you've said it before, Steve, not too long ago. And I don't remember if it was on this show or the grenade show, but you, you basically said like, you can't tell where the facts end and Meltzer's opinions begin in his writing. He's such a good job, does a good job at that. And it's no more evident than right here where he claims that this was scheduled for the fall, but they, they bumped it up four months because they got scared over a, a Monday night raw rating at nine when they were on at 7 PM. I'm not buying that. I don't, it makes no sense. You, 
you're out of you're out of your normal time slot. You have basketball, so the, your your show's all over the place as it is. Right, and we see this with you know like right now with SmackDown moving to Fox Sports One because of the World Series, AEW having to move to you know TBS or or Saturdays you know, Saturday on yeah. the same channel. Like it, it kills your rating. We're creatures of habit. Wrestling fans are creatures of habit. On Mondays at nine o'clock, wrestling was on. That's it. You could tell us for a week straight that wrestling's on at seven on Monday, and by the still time we get there, we're most likely going to forget unless we're diehards. It's, hap- it's die happened hard, to me before. Forget. I believe one of these seven and o'clock so, shows. You know, I, I don't. Did I mention it last week? That I think that, you mentioned it last week. Yeah, yeah. Where I missed totally the missed the the show. Yeah, I missed the parking lot brawl between Regal and Finley because I forgot the show was on at seven o'clock and I kicked myself in the ass that I missed the live episode. You know, the, of course they had the replay later on that night, but kick myself in the ass i turn it on at nine where the hell's nitro oh shit that's right it came on yeah. at seven yeah so i mean yeah it so, happens to all of us and i was a hard hardcore wrestling fan steve i was diehard yeah <laughs> we, we both were i mean this right. was, it was like religion man They're like you went to school and you talked about what was going to happen on monday night raw and then on tuesday you talked about what happened on raw and nitro and like wrestling was so hot like before that, I never even talked about wrestling outside of my one friend I grew up with. Like some of my other friends like liked wrestling, but they weren't into it like we was. But by the time '96 came and the NWO hits, man, it was everybody. Everybody yeah. was talking about wrestling. So you couldn't go a Monday or Tuesday without talking about wrestling. But that doesn't make any sense. And I think he Dave just likes to think he's smarter than everybody in the room. So he thinks, okay, well this makes sense making this huge adjustment in the fall because everything's out of the window and then you can really kill them and ratings and everything. So it makes the most sense moving it to fall. I'm so happy. Like people like Bischoff don't give a damn about what Meltzer thinks or feels. These are the guys that were there. They know. And so I would trust their word over a journalist and I'm using air quotes for that. So, so DeMeltz does have more to say about this. And then this is but mostly just opinion, but it is true. So uh, I will give him props for that much, but it's common sense true, but we're going to touch that anyway. DeMeltz says as a best case scenario for WCW, the hour lead in starting at eight instead of nine will allow them to hard sell a couple of main event matches. No doubt. One of which will start nearly every week at about eight fifty three, basically beating out Raw's eight fifty seven start time. So it would be, in progress when Ross starts and the other held off for the final qu- quarter hour of the second hour of the show. Well, duh, Dave, that makes absolutely perfect sense. I don't know if they actually do that every week, but it makes perfect sense. Obviously, yeah, you want a main, a main match in your ring when Ross starts, and you want a main match in your ring to go up against Ross' main event. So common sense stuff there by Dave. And Dave also says, in a worst-case scenario, is that WCW Booking Committee isn't equipped to put on a two-hour live show each week. Uh, without diluting the product, the company has been struggling of late to put on quality television. Mondays have been hit and miss. Many believe the periods where it built up to a slight edge on Monday over WWF was a result of weekly hot shotting, and that the current ratings are the hot shotting coming home to roost. WCW made a lot of long-term sacrifices by always featuring the same wrestlers and not building anyone new in its prime vehicle, whereas WWF rarely gave away pay-per-view quality matches in response and bit the bullet while it basically stood even in a time slot it it used to own. So WWF really hasn't been affected very much yet on the ratings, other than every once in a while Nitro is beating them in the ratings, but they're still seeing pretty good here. The competition almost created a higher rating for both companies, as we saw as the month started there or in late 95 between the two. 
Uh, Demel says expanding Nitro will affect everything, which is also true. TV ratings, house shows, and pay-per-view buys. But it's hard to predict in what ways. So it could be positive. It could be negative. The challenge for WCW to make the two-hour format work is it will have to be able to get over a lot more wrestlers as a two-hour show rather than ride just the coattails of Hulk Hogan, Flair, Savage, Sting, and Luger. They'll have to create coherent storylines and get over mainstream the second rung of uh, players such as Steve Regal, we just recently saw Finley in the company, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, etc. And also be able to get over the Japanese and Mexican talent as people who are important rather than just very active moving cannon fodder for the mid-level wrestlers to beat. Uh, All of that's true. Again, all opinion, but it's all common sense opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's not say, stating anything other than the obvious. It's so weird to talk about a two-hour TV show <laughs> being overexposure. Uh, <laughs> like now, it's like, holy shit! We got how much hours of TV each week? Eight hours on WWE. If you just right. if you only watch Raw, NXT, and SmackDown, AW has three hours of TV. If you watch Dark, you probably have more than that. So. I mean, there's a lot of wrestling on TV, so getting overexposure was a huge issue back in the day, but clearly nobody cares about that now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, it makes sense, and um, it's something that we can always maybe keep track of and come back to. Like, maybe I don't care if you, I don't know if you care enough about Meltzer's opinion here to rehash it, you know, six months from now. Well, you know, Dave said they're going to have to do this and this. Did they do it? Did they accomplish that? I mean, it'd be kind of be nice to kind of see, but we all know where this heads and what happens. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess when your main event, I guess when your main event scene is so hot, whatever happens underneath doesn't even really matter. <laughs> At least not so, for a while. Uh, not for a while, but uh, you know, all that. I think that's a, that's a deterrent. But we, we have plenty of time to talk about that going forward. Well, the Meltz continues on because he's got a lot of things to say this week. He says the Blood Runs Cold vignettes apparently have nothing to do with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, as he originally hypothesized, theorized. The Meltz uh, claimed just a couple of issues of The Observer ago that he was pretty sure Blood Runs Cold was Hall and Nash, but he's come to the conclusion it won't be Hall and Nash anymore. Good job, Dave Meltzer. But it will be a team of three ninja heroes to be brought in, one of which is expected to be Brian Clark, Adam Bomb. Of course, we know. Wrath, Brian Clark, does come in way down the line as a heel in this Blood Runs Cold type angle. I don't think that he was ever a plan at this point, though. I think this is just Dave guessing. Dave does claim for sure he knows one member of these three ninjas in Blood Runs Cold. He says he knows for sure the main guy is going to be Chris Champion, who was one of the members of the New Breed. You remember that went back in time and Dusty Rhodes was president and yeah, and WCWA back in the 80s and later on, <laughs> you later on did the Yoshi Kwan gimmick. Yeah, Chris Champion going to be one of the ninjas actually wouldn't be a bad idea he was he was pretty mobile in the ring uh but there, again i just listened to a, po- a podcast eric bischoff says he didn't create blood runs cold and then find guys to fill the shoes he created blood the glacier gimmick with ray lloyd in mind he had known him he liked him and he wanted to put him in that position for whatever reason and you know obviously it was just done at the wrong time might have worked a couple years earlier than this but not so much here in 96, but it's going to be a while before we see old Glacier pop up. But Dave knows for sure that it's Chris Champion coming in. So that's the <laughs> melt. Of course. DDP yeah. now has a benefactor. He's getting back in the ring. He had a, nobody knows who this benefactor is, and he doesn't last very long either, Steve. But 
Uh, he did purchase DDP an attorney, and that attorney found a loophole in the contract, which allows DDP to return to the ring. And he also gets himself a limo, and he's all of a sudden not poor. I don't know who this benefactor was supposed to be. We never do find out because this was a Bischoff. Uh, <laughs> it might have been his next door neighbor at the time. <laughs> his next door neighbor. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but DDP <laughs> is back in business, and boy, do they flip a bunch of plans for him all at once here coming up. Uh, Demeltz also oh, drops Lord. the ball yet again. No way. He says that the Renegade was released from the company, even though he'll be around next month, Steve. So the Renegade gone from WCW, I guess, for a month. Anyway, thank you, Meltzer. More discussion. This time it's of the, the Nature Boy Ric Flair and Randy Savage feud going on right now. Demelt says even though Flair is 47 and the natural criticism is that, is that he's too old to be put in the top position and his match quality isn't isn't what it was in his prime. The fact is that it's Randy Savage and Ric Flair feud on top, which has led to the revitalization of house show business. And based on this past weekend, the feud shows uh, no signs at all uh, of being on a downward slide. From a personality standpoint and an ability to get over a hot angle, there is still nobody close to these two in WCW. Now that, Meltzer gets right, really, outside of Randy Savage specifically and, and Ric Flair because of who he is, and, and, and the personality that he exudes, there aren't very many other people here to, to get anything over right now. Yeah, with Hogan gone and there's really nobody else because Hogan's buried everybody on his way out the door. Everybody. It leaves you these two, these two established stars that really no matter what happens to them, they're still over. It's Ric Flair. It's Macho Man. People don't care. Like they've, they've, They're clearly past that point where they didn't get on anybody's nerves or you know just totally shit all over their goodwill you know like like hogan had yeah like they're hogan's a lightning rod flair and rip macho man aren't like people just they know shit's going to be good they're intense as hell they know how to sell a story it's not hokey cartoony garbage it's real life to a degree they just they're different and uh they know how to sell an angle and that's exactly what they do here it's some good stuff i mean the, the promos are getting a little redundant where Ric Flair and Miss Elizabeth looks extremely uncomfortable in like 99% of them. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, Macho Man really carries this. I, I think Macho Man really does an excellent job of carrying this. So we followed it on former episodes of Monday Warfare. So I figured we might as well see this all the way through to the final comments Eric Bischoff makes here in regards to Mark Merrill. Yes, I know he's been with the WWF now for a few months, but these conversations are still going on. People are still questioning Eric Bischoff about Mark Merrill leaving WCW for WWF. There's been some things said back and forth. Here's the final words from Eric Bischoff on Mark Merrill leaving WCW for WWF. He says, I don't know that I would or I wouldn't rehire Mark. There's three mistakes that were made the day we parted company at the airport. One is that Johnny, be bad, confronted me five minutes before we were supposed to board a flight to do TV. Bad timing. Second mistake is that he gave me an ultimatum. When someone looks me in the eyes and says, do this for me, which is which in his case was put something in writing saying, you're going to pay me no matter what happens if I get hurt or I can't wrestle. When someone says this to me, they give me no option. I don't deal well with a gun to my head. Well, that's a bit extreme, Eric. The third mistake was on my part because I overreacted to that. I overreacted because Johnny was a guy that everybody who has worked here during the time I've worked here has wanted to fire. They wanted to get rid of him because they didn't believe in him. I gave Johnny opportunities. I protected Johnny. We all think Johnny's great, a great wrestler now, 
but a year ago, you guys were filleting him like a fish. He wouldn't have had that opportunity to become a great wrestler if I hadn't given it to him. He had a contract, he shook hands, he agreed on a deal, and then because he didn't like the tone of my voice when we had an issue over the NASCAR problem, he decided to call Vince McMahon and take a better offer. That, to me, is not integrity. He may have his reasons for doing it, and he may believe he's right. But if I shake hands with somebody and say this is our deal, I'll cut off my arm before I go back on my word. Johnny said he'd like to leave on good terms, and I don't think agreeing on a deal, giving me an ultimatum, and telling me five minutes before we get on an airplane is necessarily the greatest way to part company. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, no, you're not leaving on good terms, Johnny. And I sincerely hope you know what you're doing, because you're not coming back. I meant it when I said it. But in reality, as much as I'm still a little disturbed by what happened, I've had time to get over it personally. So Bischoff, pretty honest there. He's like, yeah, I'm a douche, but this is how I believe I feel, and I'm kind of over it now, though. So he admits maybe he jumped the gun a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never heard like Bischoff to be uh, an, a liar. He may have forgotten things or forgets things that people want answers on, but he just doesn't remember or use that as an excuse. I don't know, but I've never seen him lie about something like all the time um you know that you know the people that do Uh, so it's their way and that's the only way whether it's right or wrong doesn't matter it's irrelevant so i i would take bischoff at his word here that he probably did say you're not coming back but at the end of the day it's business and i think that's what he's covering himself on that last line of i'm over it personally if it came down to it and business was business I would think about it. Like he, he's, he's mad. He didn't like the way it ended. I'm sure Mark didn't like the way it ended either, but that's just the heat of the moment. And that's the battle within really like back then, all you had to do was call Vince. Hey, you need some, are you interested? And then it was on like no guaranteed contracts. Really? There was no 90 day non-compete clauses, which I know that comes up with the kid coming down the road a little bit, but as far as news, but for the most part, it was the Wild Wild West. And if you was free, all you had to do was call the other guy, and they, they would probably bring you on just to take a shot at the other company. And, well, you got to remember, um, Vince wanted Mark, too. I mean, he offered him a bigger contract. He saw more money in Mark than he did in, in Mick Foley. And that's what uh, Mick Foley always complained. You know, like he, That upset him because Johnny B. Bad was making more money than him. Well, Mick Foley just seems like whatever. <laughs> 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 I don't even know what to say, man, because yeah. it's like, you was brought in as a favor, Mick Foley. I'm sorry that's the case, and I'm sorry you you've had to kill yourself just to get yourself over into the point where you're a legend. I, I mean, I would look at Mark Merrill and say, okay, there's more money to be made here than with some out of shape big dude who's playing some crazy ass gimmick. Like, I get it. I, I, I would get. I see it. I see where Vince is coming. Well, especially from. with Vince. I mean, I mean yeah. Merrill had the look with Vince. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying everybody's going to look at Mark, like Paul Heyman's not going to look at Mark Merrill and say, you're going to make more money than Mick Foley for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen, but I mean, for Vince McMahon's product and what he wants to push. Yeah. uh, Mark Merrill's getting picked 99 out of a hundred times. Right. Absolutely. Back then. Now, not now, not now, but clearly back then. Oh yeah. All day. So we'll probably saw him as like the next Mr. Perfect or somebody in that vein who could be, an IC title champion for quite a long time. Yeah. And then after a certain amount of time, he could have moved up to the main event scene if done properly. Like he could at least had a title match here and there. I don't think it would have been terrible, but you know, you know, what's interesting too. And I don't want to stay too long on this because we got so much nitro and raw to talk about was when I was listening to this era, right? Recently from Eric Bischoff, he kind of commented on 
Mark Merrow and him leaving and things like that. And not so much, I wasn't, I'm not getting back into what I just read, but he talked about how he saw Mark. Bischoff wasn't a believer in Johnny B. Bad. He didn't really like the character. He didn't, the way he describes it in, in his mind and his memory, I don't want to say it wasn't over, but it wasn't over with Bischoff. He didn't see it going anywhere. He said he, if, if he had it to do over again, he would love to have kept Mark and made him like an aggressive heel or like an aggressive baby face is the way he described it. Completely shedded the Johnny B. Bad character, which I think would have killed him like it did in the WWF. I think Johnny B. Bad, the, the character was part of what made him so over there once he really got his wrestling together there in the second half of 95. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to harp on it too long, but the, the problem with Mark Merrow is a character like John B. Bad is very limited as far as you only can go so high with that. I think it's just such an outlandish gimmick, but if you strip that away, he's not going to go anywhere because the gimmick made him. So it's like, what do you do? Do you want to be stuck in, tv u.s title picture or how how can you take that johnny b bad character strip a little bit of it away but keep some of it yeah to make it to where it's believable in the main event and i think an aggressive angry heel version where you slowly strip away those things but build up other things at the same time i think that could have worked but it would have took a lot of work and if somebody doesn't buy into you they're not going to put the effort in to make that happen yeah so well said, sir. And we'll get going with WCW Monday Nitro for May 13th. It's the final 60-minute edition of Monday Nitro. They're in Nashville, Tennessee, Municipal Auditorium. In front of 5,700 people, only 2,900 paid, though, Steve. So about half full of uh, actual paying customers here. And once again, Nitro on at 7 p.m. Eastern because of the NBA playoffs. It's Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, and I believe for the last time, Steve McMichael on the announced team, along with his rock star Pepe here. Pepe's in Nashville, so he's kind of dressed up like Roy Orbison or, or something along those lines. Lex Luger has missed his last two <laughs> WCW title opportunities. I knew you were going to laugh at this. It was, it was good. I love it. So this time Lex was determined he wasn't going to miss his championship opportunity tonight against the Giant in the main event of Nitro. No, sir, he slept in front of the building all night long. Luger missed his two opportunities, so he camped out last night in Nashville, complete with a, a reclining chair, a blanket and pillow, a flashlight, reading material. He even had reading material. See, way before cell phones and looking at your cell phones, people, he had reading, but he had some magazines there. He had a nice cooler, some water bottles, some fruit, mosquito repellent, and yes, even a fly swatter. He can even feel the mosquitoes on his blanket as he starts swatting them. Uh, on the blanket as if they were bothering him. Pretty detailed list of things I thought here. It's like somebody sat down and said, what all do you need? Like somebody really thought this out. What all do you need <laughs> if you're really going to uh, camp out somewhere? I mean, you had the food, you had the water, you had the, the chair, the pillows, the, the fly swatter. It was just, it was everything you ever needed. Uh, it's so good. I have no clue why he missed the first two matches. They never, I don't think they've ever, never ever told explained. us or, yeah. ever, or ever did, ever explained it. Luger said the last one was he dismissed his flight, but um, this was hilarious. I, I don't know if they meant to do this or what the case was. You know what know, killed me no was I. Can. it was you comedy gold. Gonna... It was comedy gold, but oh, the announcers well, it sold tremendous. it. The announcers sold it as serious. Boy, he really wants that title shot. He yeah. stayed here. It's like, did you watch the video footage or are you just repeating what you, you, know, <laughs> right, you think that right. they showed on here? Because if you watch the video footage, I don't know. He's just swatting it air. It does. It's comedic gold. <laughs> I would agree, but 
I just think um, there's no way they did this on purpose. There's no way they said, you know what, we're going to have you miss two title matches, and then we're going to show you camping out. Like, that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to get this over. Somebody like, came up with no it. It, it, it was, whoever, whoever wrote this uh, little scene here, it was, it was pretty clever, I thought. It was ex- excellent. I loved it. So we kick things off in the ring. It's the Steiner brothers taking on the public enemy. Public enemy get the jobber entrance. They're already in the ring, and I'm okay with that. Scott starts off with a big press slam on Rocco Rock. Actually, he presses him onto Johnny Grunge. Then Rick Steiner runs in with a double slider, Steiner line and clears the ring. Suplexes galore by the Steiners on Public Enemy, and it leads to a four-way melee on the floor. Public Enemy take over briefly. Rocco goes up top, but Rick falls into the ropes, and Rock's supposed to crotch himself, but he takes like five seconds. Very delayed fall by Rocco Rock as he crotches himself on the top rope there. Scott comes in, and he hits a, a nice tilt-a-whirl slam on Rocco, but he kind of turns to the side, and it almost turns into like a Dino Bravo, as Gorilla would call it, side suplex. So it was like a tilt-a-whirl side suplex. I thought that was really nice, even if Scott didn't mean to do it. Scotty goes up, tries a superplex on Rock, but Grunge from behind picks Scott up on his shoulders with a fall away, and then we get an assisted drive by as Grunge helps Rocco climb the ropes in the middle of the ropes. Not in the corner. In the middle of the ropes, Rocco Rock hits a somersault senton and uh, tries it again in the corner, the real drive by off the top rope in the corner, but Scotty moves this time in the hot tag to Rick as he mauls both public enemy. Rock tries a somersault plancha to the floor, but Rick moves and Rock lands on Grunge yet again. Back inside, Scotty nails Rock O'Rock with the Frankensteiner, and the Steiners pick up the win six minutes and 54 seconds. I wrote, besides the typical Steiners moves, public enemy were slow and plotting. Not a very good match. No, it was pretty rough. They're sloppy, 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 sloppy. sloppy. Yeah, yeah. Just like and, the and, and- key word. And they didn't even want to really sell either. I don't know if you saw it, but when Rock was outside, Rick was laying in some punches, and he just stands there. He didn't move his head. He didn't change his facials. He didn't do anything. He just stood there and waited for Rick to grab him. So I don't know if these dudes just checked out because they're not going anywhere fast in WCW. Their time is terrible here. Steve, I just think they're bad. (laughs) I just think they're this bad. They're just collecting a check and – this goes to show you how great Paul Heyman is. <laughs> he protected these dudes and made them look like a million bucks. Well, yeah, and, and uh, it goes to show you how great Bill After was, too, because I really seen very little Public Enemy. I only had some ECW tapes that I bought through an After Mag, so the only thing that I had pumping Public Enemy to me was reading the After Mags. I'm like, these guys are awesome. I've never even seen them, Steve, and I thought they were awesome. <laughs> and I was still blind to it here. I didn't remember them being this terrible when I was watching this at that time, in this time period. I just thought they were as equal as any other team. I didn't think they were as good as the Steiners, but they didn't, you know. But now that I go back, I don't know if they've had one good match yet in the company, wrestling wise. Oh, no, yeah, I don't, I don't recall. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It's, it's sad, but it almost feels like they got a check, and they hated the fact that they got a check. Not the fact that they got the check, but the fact that they had to leave ECW to get it, because they're perfect for ECW. They're perfect for that environment. They got the freedom to express themselves the way they want to be expressed. And I think that's where they dropped the ball is that they gave these guys no time to talk. They didn't have any time to establish their character, their gimmick or anything at all. They just assume everybody knows who they are and their gimmick is basically going through tables. And so without that character development, public enemies, nothing because that's, their bread and butter is character development and telling stories. Wow, man. You're, you're really you on know, a roll promos. here. You're really on a roll here this week, man. <laughs> you're really hitting the nail on the head on a lot of these things. 
Yeah, they just don't give them time to ever. Nobody knows what Public Enemy is if you're just a casual or a WWF, WCW type fan. You have no idea what they are, where they came from, what, what, what their deal is, other than they break a table every now and then. Sometimes nobody's even on it. But yeah, it's, here it's just amazing, they're running know. into they're running into each other here. The signers are hitting all their spots. They're not selling for anything. They're not even doing it in a really dickish way. It's just public enemy are in the wrong place so many times in this match. So sloppy. You use the right word, sloppy. It's amazing to me too. Like Bischoff had issues with Sabu. Public enemy didn't work out. Nine one one was there for like a piss break as a job and guy. So. As a job guy, uh, it's amazing that he would even want to go back and even hire anyone else from ECW. He's never gotten a return on his investment, but we all know that changes. But, I mean, it's just, (laughs) why would you go back to that well? (laughs) Hire the guy that's getting them over, not the guys that are getting over. Yeah, for sure. For sure here. Uh, Public Enemy just aren't, you know, and I remember this era so badly because I had wanted them. Why why won't they give Public Enemy the titles? Why won't they give Public Enemy the titles? Man, they're screwing Public Enemy <laughs> over. Now I go back and I watch this and I go, oh, that's why they didn't get Public Enemy. No wonder. Yeah. I think they do win it for like a freaking week or two or something way, way down the line here. In Cleveland of all places, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so... We were just, you just mentioned Eric Bischoff hiring people. Eric Bischoff announces that WCW Monday Nitro is going to two hours on May 27th. Should be interesting. Should be fun. We'll talk about that at the end of this episode of Monday Warfare. We go back to the ring. It's Chris Benoit taking on Squire David Taylor with Jeeves in his corner, the old Wildcat Willie. Taylor replaces the Belfast Bruiser as Regal's partner at Slamboree, because that's fair, Steve. Rather than sell the match, the announcers sell Hulk Hogan being friends with Shaquille O'Neal and the Magic vs. Hawks game coming up later tonight. Not only do they shill the actual game, they have to mention that Hulk Hogan's friends with Shaq, who was on the Magic way back when. (laughs) What else they got to do? They don't care about these people. So we got Benoit Taylor in the ring having a nice little snug, quick but snug match. Heenan, meanwhile, puts over Finley, which I thought was really cool because he, they, we know at this point Finley's gone for the rest of the year. He's went back and he's working, I believe, for Otto Vons or, or someone over in, in Germany. Then we also we learned a lot of things in this match. We learned about the Hawks and Magic game. We learned about Finley and how great Bobby Heenan thinks he is, even though he's not here anymore. And then we learned that Bobby Walker, hard, <laughs> hard work Bobby Walker, who sued WCW for probably this very reason right here, we learned that he's been removed from the Slamboree pay-per-view because he was hurt. And in his place will be DDP. Remember, he just got rehired by the WCW. DDP will be replacing Bobby Walker in the Lethal Lottery match. So that's how DDP squeaks in just six days before the pay-per-view. Interesting how that happens. And then Bobby Walker out. And you wonder why that lawsuit took place. Between... <laughs> right but but i should mention there was a match going on steve between chris benoit and dave taylor by the way oh really yeah they go out to the floor where dave taylor hammers on benoit and then he does a nice flip back over the top rope into the ring a nice heel move and then a little bit of a peace sign there a la steve regal and that is how you get heat that's a jacques rougeau move that'll flip back into the ring thing it means something there they were on the and this is important so i'm bringing this up for a reason bear with me they were on the outside of the ring. He had to get back in the ring. So what does he do? He just shows off and he flips back in the ring. Keep that in mind when we get to Raw, Steve, okay? As this match all goes right. on. What's that? I said, all right, I'll remember that. This match goes on. It's Chris Benoit going up for a moonsault. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. He wasn't really going up for a moonsault. He had to set Dave Taylor up 
to sneak up behind him, put Benoit on his shoulders into a fallaway, and then again, a real fallaway slam, picks him up Scott Hall style, nails the fallaway slam. I love Dave Taylor's float over with his fallaway slam. Gets a two count here. Taylor misses a reverse cross body block off the middle rope, and Benoit with the dragon suplex picks up the win. Four minutes and 14 seconds. Too short to be anything, but Dave Taylor here in this four minute match showed me more than he did that they then they allowed him to show us for most of his run here in WCW. Yeah, I got a little sloppy at times. I mean, there was an ugly ass looking slingshot towards the beginning. Um <laughs> he just goes he goes up stiff as a board and then falls into the top turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you made this match sound way better than what I thought it was. I mean, Dave okay. Taylor's nice. I, I enjoy watching him work. I like he's similar to Regal. Um the chops are nice. I love the European uppercut. Those are the those are my favorite. I like it better than just like a normal punch or a normal chop because it looks a little different. And if you connect with it good enough, like it looks really good. Uh, so it could be more effective than those other moves. Uh, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it's just Dave, it doesn't seem like Dave Taylor gets a lot of work. So there's a little ring rust. It feels like he's just hit and miss on when he works. So he's probably not getting enough action to even be consistently good. But it's definitely there how good he, he is and can be. Yeah, I mean, he's probably all over those Disney tapings, uh, probably against job guys. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much work he's really getting. I don't know how effective that's going to do. But, but <laughs> do you guys, keep, everybody, keep do yourselves first. a favor. You know, go go on YouTube. Look up some uh, just a couple of Dave Taylor matches from over in England, man. The guy was he didn't get the credit he deserved here in the States. Regal got to shine for years. We know the talent that Regal is. Dave Taylor, I'll always hold Regal above pretty much anybody from that era over in the U.K., but Dave Taylor was pretty damn good. So as the show goes on, we learn that the Macho Man is not permitted in the building. Uh, but he has something in common with Steve McMichael. Mongo has been getting upset with Ric Flair lately. Flair trying to hit on Mongo's then-wife, Deborah McMichael, who's been sitting in the crowd for some odd reason several weeks in a row. Not here this week, but uh, Mongo not happy with the Nature Boy. He's going to go talk to the Macho Man. So we go outside after commercial Mean Gene. Standing by with Doug Dillinger and security as they hold the macho man Randy Savage back. And <laughs> a train whistle blows in the background, not planned. And Mean Gene has to ad lib, oh, the train's in town. Huh. So <laughs> I thought that was funny, though. Mongo comes out. He wants to have a word with macho man. Mongo says, I have a plan for Flair, baby doll, darling, and all that horse shit. Meanwhile, macho man's not even <laughs> in the screen when Steve McMichael's saying any of this. So he never actually even speaks with Randy Savage. He may be speaking at Randy Savage. Don't you worry, I got a plan, Randy. But he doesn't actually have a conversation, so he left commentary to go say this outside in the parking lot in front of Randy Savage, although they never actually have a conversation. So I wrote, what the fuck? What was the point of this? So Mongo turns around and just goes back inside. That was his conversation with Randy Savage. Savage, we learn, has been fined. I don't care about the money, which is a lie. We, we've heard stories. I've heard stories of Macho Man and the money. Mean Gene believes he's lost his mind, and I believe so, too. Uh, Macho Man getting so hyped up with this storyline that he's incoherent, or at least at the very least, he's not putting proper sentences together. And some of it just doesn't make any sense. It's funny, but, but it just some of it doesn't make any sense. Savage, we learn, <laughs> we've learned, what, a week, two, three weeks ago now? The Macho Man will have to team with the man that he is trying to get in the in the building right now and kill, murder, Ric Flair. They got to team up at Slamboree. I don't know how. What is the luck of that happening? <laughs> um, so Savage says, and I quote, I don't, <laughs> and I quote, Savage says this, 
I don't mind dragging a dead guy to the ring to get to Battle Bowl, yeah. So Macho Man going to murder Ric Flair, possibly during the Lethal Lottery match, and then drag his dead body to the ring for Battle Bowl. So at the end of this segment, Savage tries to rush in. He can't get in. And uh, means he says, you need to seek behavioral help. Ha! Call the hotline for behavioral help numbers. Well, he didn't say that part, but yeah. <laughs> Savage said he, he's seen a psychiatrist and she said he has OCD. He's one cool dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like. He's he's going nuts, and then all of a sudden he's like, "I'm one cool dude." And uh, OCD, like, oh one cool dude. Well, he had to get his he had to get the line in, so whether it made sense or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Savage, like Gene says, he's lost it, and Savage asks him what's he lost, and he's like, "Your mind." And Savage says he'll talk to Gene in another lifetime, but not in this one. Yeah, that made. <laughs> so yeah, just, that was one of maybe the, they're having that conversation. Maybe they're having that conversation now. Who knows? But uh, sound bites, sound bites. I'm not really answering what you're saying. Uh huh. Just got some sound bites coming out right there. Uh huh. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure he's having fun with this because <laughs> it's uh, he's all over the place. But I believe it. Like that's how good a Macho Man was playing this crazy ass off the hinge character. Because uh, we've seen it in WWF in bits and pieces, like especially after WrestleMania eight. Right. But um, like which this also involved Ray Flair. On. This is full on. Like, yeah, he's completely gone. He's completely gone. Our world is about to change. Blood runs cold. Coming to WCW. Demelt says Chris Champion right around the corner. Demelt would be wrong. I can't wait to find out who this blood runs cold guy is or what it is. WCW's wrong too. Yeah, I can't wait till <laughs> they start posting. WCW uh, right now. <laughs> well, I can't wait till they start posting the debut date on here, <laughs> and then they have to rescind <laughs> it and go back to coming soon to WCW. Because the NWO takes off, and they're like, "Yeah, we gotta push this shit back a couple more months." Poor, gla- poor glacier. I was just gonna, I was just gonna ask that. What was the cause for the delay? But man, you know, <laughs> if if it was a hot, if it was a hot gimmick, and you thought it was gonna take off, then it, no matter what else is going on in that company, you could have debuted it. But everything was know. second fiddle to that NWO shit, man. Let's let's be real. Yes, I guess. But you still got you got. Never mind. I was just going to say, you got like an hour and a half more, but shit, they're on every segment. I was watching one of the pay-per-views a while ago, and every match is that NWO music. It's great music. Everybody, everybody loves it, but every match, my wife is like, what in the hell is this? Like, yeah. every match, this music just comes on. Turn it off. I'm tired of hearing this music. So I was like, can't help it. I think it was Oh, it is, it is annoying where they play it out one segment, and then it comes back to the next segment. It's starting to play again because, you know, the next guy's coming out. Oh, yeah. The winner. It the winner. Annoying. And then you hear him walking out, and then you hear the next guy coming in, and it's like, Jesus, get some new music. Anyway, we, we'll move we, on. Yeah, we go on with more action. It's Nature Boy Ric Flair with Woman and Leather Liz at ringside taking on VK Wall Street, another random heel versus heel match. They do these from time to time here. Flair... Points at Mongo on his way to the ring, teasing him and taunting him. And he also passes his VIP dinner table that he's been having at ringside here lately. I found it kind of amusing, but it's that goes more with the Ric Flair cartoon character. Me and you have talked about off this show before. Some wrestling back and forth by the two men, but Flair powders to dance with woman near his VIP table on the floor during the match. Back inside, VK Wall Street works the leg of Ric Flair into commercial break. Back from break, Flair does the flip up into the corner and the Flair flop as well to boot. So Flair taking his bumps even for Michael Wall Street, or sorry, VK Wall Street. Vincent Kennedy Wall Street. Get it right, pal. And of course, the slam off the top rope. 
onto Ric Flair as well, and not one but two backdrops. So Flair, <laughs> talk about having the same match. Oh my God, everything Jesus. here. Talk about exposing the business. VK lands the stock market crash, aka the Samoan drop. It was the original write-off in WWF where Tatanka came and stole the move, and he had to start doing that clothesline. So two count Close from the better. Yeah, well, it looks nice. Yeah. Two mm-hmm. count here, VK Wall Street after the Samoan drop. Rotunda then with a slingshot sunset flip for a two count, a backslide for two again. A clothesline sends Flair to the floor, and Wall Street follows him outside, misses a running high knee into the steel post. Boom. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What happened there, Steve? Wall Street hurt his leg, and Ric Flair sees it. He sends <laughs> his leg again into the corner post, and then back inside the ring. It's the figure four. And with woman's added, added help and leverage, Ric Flair gets the submission win in nine minutes. Okay for TV, I thought. Remember that time on the the memory grenade when these guys like the massive rating on main event, so they yep. thought it was so good they had to run it back again and again. <laughs> that's not this. That's not no. this. <laughs> no, that's not this. Uh, that's not this at all. Um, Neither guy is. Uh, I mean, uh, this is just go through the motions <laughs> yeah. and let's get to the promos and in Wall Street's case, let's get to the shower to get all this sweat off of me. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he was sweating before I, he came I, out. I, let's I, be I, real. It's, it's freaking Mike Rotunda. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, he's sweating all the time. So he, he's sweating, <laughs> get out of bed. But um, that's right. I think Flair's is ready to get to the promo, but I, I will say at the end of the match, um, I think it's Bischoff or Heenan, one of them. It may have even been Bischoff. He does an excellent job of putting Flair over, like how smart he is. He's like, he put that move on right there so he could leverage the ladies just to get that extra help. Doesn't sound like a lot. It makes sense. But just the commentaries, the commentator paying attention and putting it over, like how dastardly of a heel he is and how smart he is as a, as a heel and a wrestler was good. But was, this was just go through the motions. You got nine minutes to kill. Let's go knock it out. And be done. Yeah, Flair is uh, on another level, and I don't know if I mean that in a good way here. Uh, and this this week's episode of Nitro or next week's episode of Nitro and some of the comments <laughs> he's making. He doesn't really care what he's saying clearly during these promos here. He beats Wall Street, rolls out of the ring, walks up the aisle just a little bit there where his VIP table is. For those who don't know what I'm referring to, there were several weeks there where Rick started having a table, a sick one of those six foot wide table, the same ones public enemy break, the same one we're going to see here used here at, later in this show. And it's got a tablecloth over it and some candles and some champagne and some food on it. It's, he likes to sit there with his ladies and just kind of watch the action and, and enjoy himself at his VIP table. Well, here he meets Mean Gene over at his VIP table. He talks trash on the Macho Man, rubs Elizabeth's mon- the money Elizabeth took from Savage in his face. He talks trash on Steve McMichael. And uh, I believe they even kind of mentioned Kevin Green here because the cat was already let out of the bag. And when he starts... Was it? Uh, yeah, well, it wasn't on Nitro, but they acknowledged that I guess Kevin Green kind of already went out and, you know, <laughs> let the cat out of the bag uh, on the radio or whatever. Because he was so excited, you know, these, uh, what are you going to do with these non-wrestler guys, huh? Right. So I didn't know Flair, that. I, yeah, I don't Flair, recall them acknowledging it. Did, uh, Flair and I think they just Bi- said, we go get one of your buddies, go get one of your all-pro buddies or, or something like that. Oh, maybe, maybe it was. Uh, no, I believe it was before. Yeah, it was, he de- they definitely do. You can go back and check it. I remember it was before Slamboree because I remember thinking, he doesn't even appear yet. One of the announcers, I think it was Bischoff, too, even says, like, or maybe it's Flair during this promo. Somebody says, 
about the Kevin Green thing and how he can't even keep his mouth shut. Not in that way, but basically that it's already, you know, been said. Right. So they're kind of acknowledging it without acknowledging it, even though they say his name. Yeah, absolutely. But basically, Flair talks trash on Savage. He talks trash on Mongo and his football buddies here. And <laughs> Flair looks to his ladies and calls them his wide receivers. As we head into a commercial break, and when we come back, Eric Bischoff apologizes for some of Ric Flair's comments. I wonder which ones. Well, where do you want to start? He started the promo off saying Nashville hasn't had much for him since he made Dolly Parton ride Smash Mountain one, one night or Splash Mountain, whatever he called Space it. Space Mountain. Space Mountain, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, like, he's kissing Liz's arms up and down. Yeah. And she just has this look on her face like, get the fuck off of me. Like, she is not into this at all. No, she's um, collecting those paychecks, though, she likes, isn't she? Uh, yeah, she likes collecting the checks, and I think she likes the idea of being a heel, but she doesn't want to be touched. It's very awkward. You could clearly tell that she's not in it. And Flair could all. give a. I mean, um, I can't speak for Liz. I can. I can. I can agree with you. That's her face. That's what her face look, says to me. Look, yeah. Uh, but I. I'm not. I but, don't uh, know Liz, so I don't know if that's just deer in headlights. You know, like like she is a lot of the times here in WCW. But, uh, I will say, like, it's it's how she's looked, like, her whole career. Yeah. Like, just very, like, nervous and uncomfortable. But I, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's like, a woman knows what she's doing. Flair doesn't mess with her because she doesn't, he doesn't want to mess with Sullivan um, at this point. So I, I get it. But Liz is there, like, as a free woman single, I guess. I don't know. And he's kissing her up and down. And she's just like, this is disgusting. Um, but no, he said he's Joe Namath, and he said he threw touchdown pass after touchdown pass. Mm-hmm. And he says, Mongo, look at his wide receivers, and it's right. Liz and woman. Yeah. And uh, I'm surprised it took this long to get this dude canceled or heat. I mean, just go look at his promos. They're, it's not far from the truth. It, this is Ric Flair. This is yeah, how he's always been. He's having fun here, that's for sure. And it gets <laughs> even worse next week. It gets uh, way worse next week. Oh, yeah, because, oh, my God. <laughs> He got so, 35 minutes of talking. <laughs> the time has come. The, yeah, the uh, the time has come, and uh, camping outside has paid off. Lex Luger has made it. He has arrived for his WCW title match. It's the main event of Nitro, the Giant, defending the title against Lex Luger. Jimmy Hart at ringside. Now, remember, Jimmy's been with Lex in the past, but he also manages WCW champion, the Giant. So Jimmy Hart out there at ringside. Lex finally makes it to the title shot. No introductions. We come back from commercial. These two guys are ready to go. Lex bounces off the Giant when he tries to tackle him down. He tries to slam Giant, but gets tossed to the floor for his troubles. Back inside, Lex Luger nails clotheslines that do absolutely nothing. He jumps off the middle rope, but the Giant catches him and power slams him into the turnbuckle. Luger makes the comeback, even nails a jumping forearm. You know, the steel plate forearm from WWF. Giant no-sells it, and immediately, Eric Bischoff mentions... That's the forearm that knocked out Yokozuna and put him out for 10 minutes. So he couldn't wait to get that. He was just waiting for that, wasn't he, Steve? Oh, yeah. He was exposing the business. Like, that's not set up. <laughs> that's the first thing you think of when you see a flying forearm, Bischoff, is that knocked out a guy from the other company. Like, I uh, knew that was coming. Lex tumbles. told Luger to get that, that spot in. I believe he did. I mean, he, was, he jumped on that. He couldn't wait for that here. It's immediate. Uh, Luger spills to the floor. The Giant follows him out, presses him back in the ring, but the Giant never gets back inside. He gets up on the apron, and Luger won't let him back in. Luger takes several shots, maybe a dozen shots, and sends the Giant 
After a big flying forearm, this time sends the giant off the apron, though he does land on his feet, to, to his credit. And we end up with a brawl outside between Luger and the giant. And they wander over to Ric Flair's VIP table, where the giant clears off the table, literally clears it, Steve. It kind of killed it for me. I didn't notice this way back when, but first he's like, oh, what should I move? Oh. So he, he moves the candles. Makes sense. Then he looks again. He's like, all right, I'll move the plates. And then he moves the plates. Then he looks again, and he's like, all right. And then he just pulls the whole tablecloth off, Steve. All right, whatever. Safety first, I suppose, by the Paul White here. Then there's food crumbs, literally just some fucking food crumbs left on the table. And he even swats those away before he finally, yes, choke slams Lex Luger through the table. It kind of took away from me this time. I had to laugh. I'm like, oh, my God. He brushed off crumbs of food before he would put Luger through the table. <laughs> so he's very thorough. I got to give him that much. Very safe is the giant here. And uh, Flair goes absolutely ape shit nuts. He's dancing around in a circle there right in front of this. Now, remember, Ric Flair is the guy the Giant beat just, what, a week or two ago or whatever it was to win the WCW title. But instead of being upset that the Giant's right in front of him, the guy that took the belt from him is right in front of him, he's just mad they destroyed his VIP table. Which goes back to the entire point of Ric Flair becoming more of a cartoon character than an actual wrestler at this point. Yeah, he's a it's not very entertaining to me either. I mean, some of the stuff he's saying is funny, but like he was always a bit off kilter and nuts like this back in the day. But his primary focus was that WCW title or the NWA title. Nothing else mattered. He didn't care about nothing else. Yeah. He wanted money, but money came with being the champion or he wanted women, but women came with being the champion. Now was the end all be all. Now it's just like, he doesn't give a shit about nothing. I'm just going to go out here, have a good time, and uh, collect a check. And it, it's sad, but I think that's really that's the end of Ric Flair. This is the end of it. This is what you get the rest of the way. So um, very unfortunate. So getting back away from Ric Flair and going back to this match, this WCW title match, the Giant puts Luger through the table right in front of referee Nick Patrick. Now, if you go online or you go into the old Observer, DeMeltz claims this was a double countout. I never saw Nick make a count. He followed them outside. He stood there until Luger was chokeslammed through the table. A bell eventually sounds. Nobody's ever announced as a winner or loser. So I wrote, was this a double countout? Was this a disqualification? A no contest? You decide and pick your own battle there. But match goes only four minutes and four seconds. So Luger waited three times it took him to get this title up. Slept there all night. And then the match goes four minutes. That was the payoff here this week. Jimmy Hart jumps on the Giants back to try to save Luger, but the Giant even shoves his own manager, Jimmy Hart, away. Sting rushes out to check on his buddy Lex. Mean Gene being Mean Gene being Scheme Gene comes over. He wants to have an interview with Lex Luger and Sting while Luger's laying there half dead. And Sting said, not now, Gene. Get out of here. So even Sting frustrated with Mean Gene being old Scheme Gene here. And then we cut to the announcers who sell it like Lex could have been severely injured. They're really selling this, this choke slam through the table. It seems like a, a slight pivot to a, a full face turn for Lex Luger this week rather than that tweener, is he a heel, is he a face? Having, a, having the monster heel put you through a table, that's a pretty big baby face turn. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I also thought this uh, angle made more sense after Bischoff and them sold it afterwards as this is something that 
Sting's going to have on his mind when he gets to the giant of slammerie that gets payback for his buddy mm-hmm. getting put through a table. So um, I, I didn't even realize that. I didn't even think of that when uh, it happened. But after the announcers mentioned it, I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. The, the angle was good. I liked it. But also knowing that they did it to push their the, their title match at Slamboree, the pay-per-view, uh, was a nice added feature that I didn't really pick up on until they to- told me. So um, good well, job some, by them. Here's something else I didn't pick up on until 25 years later. Smart booking here by not letting Public Enemy do any table breaking earlier, like not even having them get put through the table. It allows the announcers to sell Lex's bump properly as if it's serious rather than just a undercard silly spot done by by public enemy here. So I wondered during that match, where was the table? Why didn't it break? Not because I wanted it, but because they've done it in every single match on TV since they've been here. And then all of a sudden, not this week, and it seemed odd, and it made all the sense in the world once I saw the end of the show. And I'm, I'm going to go back 25 years to me back in 1996 and tell you that Lex Luger never took anything like this ever to this point, Steve, going through a table I, off the top of my head. I don't remember no. Lex Luger going through a table. So it was something different for Lex Luger, which made it more believable for me, even though I'm sitting there watching wrestling and I know it's not real. I'm still like, wow, that's uh, I could see him selling that as something more important than some of these other guys who you're accustomed to seeing go through table here and there, if that makes any sense to you. So when Lex went through it, it was just like, I'd never seen a table break before almost in my mind because it was like a different, a different meaning to me, I guess. Person. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. It's just, it's effective. Um, table spots are so overdone and overplayed. There's been millions of them across the wrestling landscape for the last 20, 30 years. But I, I still remember Bret Hart at survivor series. Uh, it's one that sticks out because it was one of the first times that I've ever seen it in the WWF was somebody going through a table like that. So when it, when it happens and it's effective and it's like the first time it just means more. So Luger going through the table, like I remember this angle, I remember the giant doing this to him and I was like, Holy crap, he got put through a table. That's crazy. I got more on that as our favorite segment comes up, but yeah, it it was very well done all all around. So segment of the night, was it public enemy getting Steiner eyes? Was it, Ric Flair and VK Wall Street in the rematch seven years later from 1989? Or was it Lex and his fly swatter? You tell me, what was your segment of the night? <laughs> the fly swatter was tremendous. Um, but no, Luger getting dropped by the choke slam. My point was, like, this wasn't done very often to where it looked intentional, like where you just picked the dude up and threw him through a table. Uh, I know Public Enemy did it, but they would lay the guy on there and then put themselves through it more than actually dropping a guy through the table. Or Sabu would jump on you and just kind of break the table slowly. This dude got picked up and dumped through the table on purpose. Like, there's intent there. And I thought it, it was just effective because you didn't see it like that very often. Yeah, tables broke, but like I said, I never seen anybody get powerbombed through a table yet. Nobody's been choke slammed. Nobody's done anything through a table like that before so seeing it was like holy shit that's big time right there and um it's surprising that luger be okay to take it because lord knows he doesn't want (laughs) to do anything to damage himself but (laughs) uh, maybe that's uh, why the crumbs (laughs) were wiped off he told giant i don't want anything on that table when you put me through and giant just took it literally oh he said nothing so ah and off goes the uh, the chip crumbs or the fruit or the cheese cubes or whatever the hell that was yeah and also like to bring up survivor series again that felt like an accident i know it was a spot but Brett was kind of just on the apron and got bumped and he just happened to go through the table. Like it didn't feel like it was 
it, obviously now I knew it was intentional as a kid. I didn't think of it that way. As, oh, Diesel didn't mean to do that. There's no way, but that was awesome. This just felt intentional and something they wanted to do. So I, it was uh, very well done. Yeah, Job and, well and, done and I'll give him more credit, too, because it meant a lot to me when it happened here, too. And it, it is a lot to be that it's Lex Luger, that it's a main eventer who does never take bumps like this, took a bump like this. So it just meant more to me mentally, especially since I had already, you know, kind of been it's already been watered down a little bit to me at this point. I'd already been buying ECW tapes. I had already been I think I had ECW television at this point for about three months. So I saw tables break every freaking week for about three months going into this, this spot here. Right. And I was still like, holy shit, Lex Luger went through a table. He's dead. So it's a funny how you think about different different things for different people. Yeah, it matters. Like, like if, if this was Johnny Grunge, nobody would care because he does it every week. But Luger never does anything. <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember him taking That's his, anymore. Probably his biggest bump ever. ever. Yeah. I can, I can go with like, that. This dude's like, I'm doing back bumps all day. I'm not doing nothing else. Like, this is it. You're not even hitting me with a chair very often so yeah. so every once in a yeah. while i cheat Double on these segment of the nights every once in a while i cheat on them and i don't really necessarily pick an actual segment i pick a thing or, or whatever you know Meltzer said earlier when i was reading that that nitros have been hit or miss it was very very missed this week as far as the actual in-ring action went and i really couldn't pick anything that i really cared for in the ring so i'm just going to give like a vip this week sort of uh, thing for my segment of the night. and that's just lex luger the vip between the the comedy at the beginning with the fly swatter and everything, and then the taking the bump at the end. So good, good trooper there, Lex Luger this week. I don't know how many more weeks he's going to be a good trooper here before it just falls off the rails forever. But for right now, he's he's okay with me. All right, it's time we move over to WWF news, and in the stupid Demelts files, stupid. Remember Ryback, stupid. On the Raw show, they had a woman in silhouette last week claiming to have been the ex-wife of an ex-WWF wrestler, claiming that she had an affair with Shawn Michaels, and it was played up throughout the show. Here's where Dave gets stupid, Steve. The angle seems to be that now that Michaels has become a big star, people are coming out of the woodwork to get him. It's overall a clever angle, although the woman in silhouette's acting was atrocious, and if they push too hard, here it comes. If they push too hard how great Shawn is in bed... A lot of guys will start resenting him. Is that not the most fucking ridiculous sentence you've seen? I mean, th- fucking seriously, Dave, come on, man. Uh, what do you even say to this? How do you even discuss this? Like, this isn't even all? news. I just, it was so ludicrous. I copied and put it in my notes anyway. It's a terrible angle. It was a terrible angle in 96. It was even worse now. And you're really telling me that if a dude gets pushed as being tremendous in the sack, that other guys are going to get salty? You think Flash Funk's mad that <laughs> Sean's good in bed? Like, really? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I bring that up for a reason. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go Google Too Cold Scorpio and you'll figure it out. But Well, I think Dave meant I more mean, like fans. On. Like, the, the, the male fans will turn uh, against uh, Sean. Like, that really, like, that's something I give a flying fuck about. <laughs> Like I don't really give a shit what who this dude was smashing <laughs> on on the side. Like I don't care. Just entertain me in the ring. Like I I don't know how you are. Or I I don't think you're this way. I, I'm pretty sure we're very similar in this matter. I don't know if we've ever discussed this. I don't care what these people do outside of wrestling. Like I don't whatever. I, yeah, I don't give a shit what they do either. Except for and that's a good segue, Steve. Except for when they do shit like this, and I still don't really care. It's just sad and pathetic, and and has to be mentioned. Recently, 
After WrestleMania, as they often do, the WWF went on a European tour. And lots of things went on when you pack two dozen wrestlers and keep them together for a 17-day tour, as you can imagine, Steve. Specifically, Diesel and Razor Ramon, who are leaving for WCW, were flagrantly breaking every company rule they could in full view of everyone. No! There was tremendous heat on Michaels and Triple H in particular. Apparently, there were guys who actually wanted to deck Michaels, go figure, but had to be talked out of it because with Michaels' position, it would cost them their jobs. Sonny left the tour early because she was being ribbed to death, including someone taking a dump in her food, and at one point, apparently, Chris Candido, who didn't even leave with her, was also being teased and harassed to death by the big boys who acted like school children. Sonny was coming back from the European tour a few days early. Uh, it was a company decision and not a decision of her own. They were going to send two employees back a few days early to deliver some tapes, likely the upcoming Bulldog and Michaels angle from the beach, and it was supposed to be a ref and a member of the ring crew. At the last minute, Lisa Wolf of Titan Human Resources switched it from the ref to Sonny, apparently because Wolf had already heard the problems in Europe and wanted Sonny out of the situation because WWF is incredibly over-careful about subjects like sexual harassment. Demeltz also implies that there's a situation between Sonny and another wrestler, <coughs> Sean, having an affair, causing more ribbing on poor Chris Candido over in Europe. There's lots to unpack there. <laughs> you want to go ahead and finish it up with the last bit, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Sure, just another quick couple lines here. Supposedly, Bret Hart, who finished up his run here with the company in this, uh, at this point in time after WrestleMania 12, did the European tour. He was fed up with what happened on the tour, and it made him feel even more strongly than he did before about leaving the company, even though the consensus still is that he'll probably be coming back here by the fall. Uh, this kind of re-encouraged him to go find something else to do. Maybe take some time away yeah, for the WWF. Yeah, I can't say I blame him. I think the biggest issue that I have with it is that I can understand Razor being stupid and a child because he got he got, he missed out on a Mania payday, but Diesel got a Mania payday and then he got a main event at an In Your House against his boy for the title. Why are you partaking in these stupid ass childish things? I mean, I could just see it like where's a guy like a a, a John Nord or just somebody who does not give a shit like a right. goon. To just beat the shit out of this guy and, and just take the heat for everybody. You know what? I'm done with this. I don't care. I don't care if I ever get employed by this company again. This is not how a company should be ran. This is not how people should be acting. And I'm just going to take the heat and I'll take it. Like, like uh, that's fine with me. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the story of the Harris twins, Ron and Don Harris, when they were the blue twins, when yeah. they, they put their notice in, they, they're the ones that quit the WWF and I can't really blame them based on the way they were used based on their size. but. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, they knew it was their last night in the company or one of their last nights in the company, and they didn't really give a shit. And uh, they had had enough of Shawn Michaels. And this goes back, what, in the fall of 95? They wait until they get him alone, just them two and Shawn, in a locker room, just those three guys. And one <laughs> watches the door because it doesn't take two of them to intimidate Shawn. Just one. That's all it takes. One watches the door while the other one picks him up. Like in, like you see in the movies, and holds him up against the wall, and basically threatens to, to not kill him, but make him wish he was dead. Perhaps uh, everybody just got so sick and fed up of their shit. And I could see these two, Hall and Nash, knowing they're leaving. You can't do anything to me. 
doing whatever the fuck they want and acting like fucking teenagers. I would have just sent them home. Go home. Sit at home. Ride your contract out and just get the hell out of my life. See you later. Yeah, I think they just. And that doesn't seem to happen. And I feel I I don't know if there's a dude in this business who unknowingly got so much shit thrown his way as Chris Candido just because of the person with. Yeah, I've heard nothing but positive things about Candido, how great of a guy and nice he was and just an overall good dude. And he had to deal with this shit like his entire career because of who he was dating or who well, he chose. Sweetheart who, he chose. And let's just call I, it like I it was it. back then. A beautiful woman who just happened to be not the, the greatest human being in the world. And, and uh, to be honest, when he chose her or was with her, she probably was a good, a good person. And was a decent person to be around. I don't. I don't know. Jim Cornette's talked highly of her when she was in Smoky Mountain, right? And like how much she loved the business and how smart she is to the business and and things like that. But when you get around trash and see what people get away with and see how things are, it, it can either negatively or positively impact you. And you can look at it and say, I don't want to be that person and be better, or you're just gonna fall into the trap. And we all know what happened to Sonny. I just feel terrible for Candido, and then just the way he died is just sad as hell. It's terrible. Like somebody shouldn't have to go through that. You're just ribbing a dude because he's smashing Sonny. Like that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, and it's childish. And I wish there's some guys on this roster that can beat the shit out of all four of them. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> they oh, could. Yeah. Somebody could have done it. And where's Und- where's Undertaker at in this? I don't know yeah. if he's on the tour. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming him, but. He he seems to be the enforcer, the judge of this 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 locker room. Where the hell is he at? Why isn't he stepped in and put this dude in his place? So I, I don't know. But well, we know we know it never happens. Or, I mean, Sean was untouchable by this point. Uh, so Brett was so, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote CM Punk. Bret Hart was right. <laughs> <laughs> he was right 100. percent Yeah. I don't so, know about uh, what, but everything. <laughs> I guess we'll move on to a lighter, lighter <laughs> note here. Lots of new talents coming. I didn't say they were good, Steve. I just said lots of new talents coming into the WWE oh, here boy. all at once here in 1996. Debuting in the ring this weekend on the house shows were the Gangstas in Paradise. Dave says, I wonder where they came up with that name. Uh, they are the Samoans dressed up to look like public enemy. Now, that's not exactly true. We've seen what they dress like it's it's oh it's a God. it's a take off of public enemy i guess you could argue but they do not look like public no. enemy one of which public is enemy a, wears jerseys and shorts these dudes are wearing gangster suits like they're slinging rock on the streets Come right on, exactly dave. <laughs> dave doesn't know enemy. anything about slinging rock on the street dave doesn't know public enemy from samoan gangsters come on uh, of course, the Samoans wind up being these Samoans actually end up being Samu, the former head shrinker, and the brother of Roman Reigns, uh, son of Sika, Matthew Anawai, also known as Rosie later on in the WWF. They're called uh, apparently he's called Night Train here. I never heard him referenced by name, so this could be Dave just making shit up. <laughs> Don't quote me on this. This is a Dave thing. But he claims uh, Rosie was named Night Train and Samu was going by Sammy Slick even though he was Sammy the Silk in ECW. They put over the smoking guns all weekend, so that might explain why, why their uh, time here in the WWF was short-lived. The, that's the same Samoans we've referenced in the past who tried to get Fatu to come back to the hood. Uh, also hired May 10th. Wow, what a slew of names here. Tom Brandy, he'll be Salvatore oh Sincere. Tracy Smothers, Freddie Joe Floyd. Alex Porto, the pug. 
Dirty White Boy. Tony Anthony going to be T.L. Hopper. <laughs> That's toilet lid hopper for those who don't know. And Bill Irwin coming in as the goon. Wow, what a slew of talent. Hires by uh, the WWF here. And that's not all. No, no. Uh. Jim the Anvil Neidhart will also be returning as a favor to Sue Hart. Only he won't be the Anvil. Are you kidding me? This guy, legendary member of the Hart Ooh. Foundation and, and the New Foundation. And he, he teamed up with Owen. And again, it's heels. And he's coming back this time. Is who, Steve? Who? Who? No, I'm asking you. Who? Who's he coming back at? Who? Oh, you're telling me. Got you. Yeah, that's right. Under a mask. <laughs> a yellow mask. Oh as as who? You can tell by his chest, man. You can tell by his chest who the hell it is. I, I told you on the Grenade Show in 1993 that Vince McMahon loved the old uh, first base joke. And uh, <laughs> here we go. Who? Yes. That's the entire reason. He didn't love it when, uh, Bartlett. when Bartlett did it, but no. he loved it. I, I will say, you know what the, amazing, the most amazing part out of all that news is? The fact that the goon actually has a, a WWE action figure coming out. Wow. You figured that one out. Wow. <laughs> Bill Irwin's about to get some royalties. <laughs> well, hey, man, he, he stayed good. He, I guess he stayed good with the right people. No, the, the Mattel marks just wanted to make a goon figure really bad, <laughs> so they made it happen. That's really all it is. <laughs> I guess so. Those guys love it. They should we do a two-pack, uh, the goon, and Mr. Perfect is the perfect goaltender. It'll be a nice little two-pack there. That would be nice. Zodiac too. <laughs> Props to anybody who got any of those references. <laughs> we, if they got them, they're watching the uh, Monday uh, the memory grenade. Oh, uh, if they're watching the memory grenade, then something's wrong somewhere. They might be listening to the or memory listening, <laughs> listening to the grenade. If they're getting those uh, references, you know what I was watching, Steve? WWF Monday Night Raw, May thirteenth, taped back on April 29th. Sioux City, Iowa. I bet he doesn't do tv there anymore municipal auditorium four thousand people oh no wow 3200 paid so nobody's selling out but they did okay here a little more than 75 percent paid on this uh particular building we get a we open things up with a backstage promo ahmed johnson so don't even ask me what he says we learn that he's the first ever kuwaiti cup tournament winner beats triple h in the finals there sunny tries to pick ahmed up in the back when we were just talking about this she uh, rubs all over the chest of Ahmed Johnson, but Ahmed tells Sonny his mama always said, take the trash out. Don't bring it in. Damn. That's uh, foreshadowing Sonny's future life, I must say. But I was like, Ahmed got her good there. I said, boy, was he right. <laughs> so I hope she turns her life around. She still has time. Uh, I, That's all she you go for. She has time. But, I mean, you go to jail 46 times and you... <laughs> then you start posting hey, sorry guys i can't post this week on only fans because the guy i do the the videos with beat the shit out of me <laughs> and then the next thing you know she's in the hospital for 10 days for a, an undisclosed reason i don't know why oh my god I think what she a, said she needed her gallbladder out yeah i believe that it, so. yeah she's had her gallbladder out seven times now probably <laughs> I mean, all you could do is hope all you could do is hope that somebody could turn their life around oh i hope i hope i just i see a, a repeat pattern here there is a pattern absolutely it's unfortunate so, talk about the, one of the hottest ladies of all yeah, time right here absolutely, yeah it's just sad it is so the reason we're even getting this promo the reason sunny's even trying to talk to ahmed is because ahmed's getting ready to take on his it's Vince McMahon claims he's getting ready to take on Skip of the Body Donnas, but it's actually Zip who starts the match off. Skip, Skip eventually takes over, replaces Zip in the match. 
Ahmed, though, backdrop, Skip to the floor. Zip tries to come back in, take back over again. Doesn't work. Skip sneaks up behind but runs right into a spine buster. Pearl River plunge, just that simple. Three minutes and 14 seconds. Ahmed disposes of both body donnas. Crazy, these are your tag team champions. <laughs> You're just jobbing them out to Ahmed. Yeah, in three minutes. Tells you what they, how they feel. Yeah, tells you how they feel about their tag division. But Ahmed's weird, man. He he hasn't been around. Just been hit and miss. Like the last thing I remember him doing was feels like Survivor Series. I know he had the stuff with Jarrett, but well, you mean it seems he, had, like he comes and goes. He's working these uh, pay per views and these six mans and tag matches. He's kind of working into that cornet feud without actually feuding with anybody there. It's just weird. Like he comes in and slams Yoko, and you feel like okay, he's going to ascend his way to the top rather quickly, and then. The click, I'm sure, probably got involved. Well, in I think I think it was that. more. I think it was more all of the injuries, and then them actually looking at him and going, "Okay, maybe he's not ready. Let's slow it down a little bit." I think the plans were still there to push him to the moon. I just think they realized uh, probably not as fast as we had we had hoped. And I think Ahmed, and who was really hard to have a conversation with, by the way, and I don't mean because, just because of the way he talks. I mean he's he's set in his ways, but even he very recently admitted that, like, yeah, maybe I got you know. Uh, they pushed me a little too much too soon. I was I was still green. So he openly admitted he was green to the level of the WWF during this period. So, I mean, I I, I think it's a, a hodgepodge of reasons why Ahmed's kind of, he's floating around there. They're, they're protecting him still. He's still, I mean, he's beating the tag team champions in three minutes. So he's still, he's still yeah. there. Oh, it's yeah. that time. It's that time. It's, uh, it's, your, it's what you've been waiting for. Yes. Cue the music, the warrior music. Dun, 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 dun. Warrior Man here. Yes, it's the Ultimate Warrior selling his Ultimate Warrior Academy. And, oh my God, this ruined his character for me forever. It's the Ultimate Warrior in a commercial for his own Warrior Academy. And he's not dressed like the Warrior, Steve. No, no, he's dressed like an everyday man with a baseball cap and a ponytail, sunglasses and no paint, and talking to us like a normal human being, trying to sell us on his product to make some money. And he starts the promo off by saying, Warrior Man here. So he's no longer the ultimate voice. Warrior Man here. Warrior Man here. Like, it fucking killed him forever. I'm like, what the fuck is this? I remember this very vividly when this aired. Warrior Man here. <laughs> I was like, what the hell's going on? Like, this is not what I expected for his return. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember this. It's clearly, it's clearly what he had in mind. I ain't gonna lie, man. Like, I'll, I'll save some of this stuff for when we do the the Mania Watch Along. WrestleMania 12 is one of the first shows that I was like super, super excited for like an actual match. A lot of times it was just, oh, this is WrestleMania, I got to watch. I didn't really care about a match. I wasn't invested in anything. But I was really invested in Brett and Sean. Like I really liked the story leading into it. I thought it was cool. It, it was Bret Hart, my guy. So I was like really excited to see a 60-minute match because I'd never seen one before. So that was all new, but then they said that the Ultimate Warrior's coming back, and man, I was super excited, because that was my guy. He still is my guy. He's always going to be my guy, but this shit, like, watching it now, as a kid, I didn't care. It was Ultimate Warrior on my TV. I didn't really give a damn, but seeing it now, it's like, this dude is cartoon 1989 WWF stuck in 96, and he hasn't changed at all, other than Warrior Man here, and Warrior Man here. just chilling his product. Warrior Man here. It's, it's uh, I'm shocked Vince McMahon got in bed with this dude again for what this is. Now, if it was just wrestling, that's one thing. I can get it. 
But you're really, knowing all the issues that you've had with this guy, you're really pushing a university, a comic book, and whatever else he comes up with. Like, wow, that's... Distrucity? uh, Yes, Vince McMahon even uses the word distrucity next week. That's next level stupidity. I'm buying in, pal. I'm buying into the warrior, man. Come on, man. Warrior man, get the fuck out of here! Oh my god! <laughs> so well, really, like the, the I will say the one thing though, and it's coming up like later on down the road. But when he comes out to confront, I think Lawler, he may have already done it. I don't know, but he had that all black face paint, nothing else on it, just black. The warrior logo, but black only. It's like he didn't even bother or didn't even care to prepare himself to be on TV as the Ultimate Warrior. It's like he left that commercial of warrior man and then he quickly put on black and came black, out yeah. like th- yeah. that's what it feels like he just wasn't invested like he was before you can clearly tell he had ulterior motives and he was just going through the motions and that's, did not want to be that here is, uh, as far as the wrestling words. goes ulterior motives definitely it was just here to sell his comic book come up with this academy nonsense and carny ways to make money outside of actually having to wrestle is basically what we got going on here and who knows he probably planned on Ditching Vince once he got all this other stuff off the ground and going, but <laughs> probably. But hey, man, isn't that what everybody would want anyway? Is Warrior making money without actually wrestling? Because if you read the sheets and everything else and everyone else, he's a terrible wrestler and everything else. But I'm not getting into that. But I mean, that's what people would want, right? Make yeah. money without wrestling. I'll agree. I'll agree with that. So we'll go on with the show. It's Vader in the ring with Jim Cornette in his corner taking on Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Vader works over Drosy early in the corner, but the dumpster comes back with a nice clothesline, drops Vader. Very believable, too. And then Drosy launches himself with a crossbody into Vader. Both guys topple over the top rope to the floor, and we go into commercial back from break. Vader has control again, mauls over Duke the dumpster. Drosy fights back out of a chin lock and hits a running drop kick that sends Vader down. Drosy then misses a top rope dive, eats the Vader bomb. Vader picks up the win. Seven minutes. It took a while. But I think Duke Drosy got comfortable, and he got pretty decent here near the end, this stuff with Triple H. And, I mean, flashes of good stuff here in this match. This wasn't a good match, but for what it was, it was okay. Uh, But he had good size. He was more believable here in the last few months with the company. It's too bad he's pretty much out the door here in the next couple months. But uh, they were done with him by this point. They weren't pushing him, that's for sure. And I'm not saying he should have been beat Vader here either by any means. Uh, but they did put him in this situation, so obviously no plans for the dumpster. Yeah, I don't know why Vader gets seven minutes with this guy. And you can clearly see, too, um, that Vader is getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. <laughs> He's losing shape, and it's like, no, I, I felt like no wonder they kind of changed their mind on on him and changed plans. I could see, you know, you bring this dude in, and you promise him a title match, and then all of a sudden he's getting injured. He's getting bigger and bigger. He's not delivering like you thought he would as far as matches. It's just not there. So it's not what you paid for. So, yeah, plans change, and it makes sense on why they did with Vader. This isn't 91, 92 Vader. Definitely not. Not even 93, 94 Vader. (laughs) You get in the Vader that got fed up with jobbing the Hogan at the end. That's who you paid for, and that's what you got. I think uh, Paul Underworth might have stomped the talent out of him. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> we'll continue on with Stop the <laughs> continue on with the show. Vince McMahon in the ring interviewing the Undertaker and Paul Bear, complete with the golden casket at ringside, meant for gold dust, of course. Vince asks how they'll deal with the bizarre one. The Undertaker's response: Bizarre. 
You're asking us about Bizarre? I found that comical, like the Undertaker's calling himself Bizarre. I did too. So, Goldust and Marlena then interrupt with large, and I'm, I'm just quoting the fans, Steve, large faggot chants throughout the uh, entire arena here in Sioux City, Iowa. Shame on them. Mm. <laughs> Goldust think got no comment i'm not i'm not touching these things uh, gold this, dust this whole segment man then quotes mm, batman 1989 when he asked the undertaker if he's ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight goldie then asked taker if he knows what rigor mortis is i think he was hinting towards a uh you know certain muscle in the body he tells the undertaker rigor mortis is a uh, stiffness of the muscles i said oh jeez. taker having none of this grabs gold dust but Mankind attacks from behind, mandible claw, and down goes the Undertaker once again, takes the Undertaker out, he's out cold, it would appear, paralyzed from that mandible claw. Vince says, what a paralyzing move. Then he must have got pissed off at himself because he realized that's not a move, Steve, that's a hold. And you know how Vince is about these isms. So he corrects himself, he goes, paralyzing hold. So uh, Vince McMahon, you're fired. I <laughs> Post-match shenanigans, the Undertaker's out, right? He's down from the mandible claw. Goldust stands over top of the Undertaker, removes his golden robe, then gets down on his hands and knees on top of the Undertaker, straddles him, Steve, and clasps his hands with the Undertaker's. I wrote, Jesus, he's basically humping him here. And if you thought that was bad, do you know what you didn't see, Steve? Do you know what was edited out of this episode of Monday Night Raw? There was more. Edited out where? Like on Peacock or on the No, no. I edited out of the original version of Raw. Oh, okay. Yeah. This never aired. This never made air. Anywhere, anytime. No, no. While Goldust was down on his hands and knees on top of the Undertaker, they cut to the crowd really quickly and they cut back. What you didn't see because of the, the editing was there was more to the straddling of the Undertaker than what you saw. No, no. Goldust got down to the Undertaker's lower extremities and began licking him up his thigh steve yes he licked the undertaker's thigh that's what actually happened before the undertaker sits up here at the end as Goldust blows the kiss to the crowd he turns around undertaker sits up Goldust runs off he runs into the casket and off to the back he goes as the taker stalks behind him so the i thought the straddling was enough when i realized there was more to it i was like wow unbelievable yeah i think you question if russo was involved yeah there's no doubt about it here I'm shocked like The Undertaker went for this. Why didn't he pull the Giant Gonzalez card for this one? <laughs> yeah, all those all those ideas went through my mind. I remember Russo taking credit for some of the early gold dust, specifically the early gold dust ideas. And I this screamed Vince Russo here. And I too thought mm -hmm. when I read this, I thought, I can't believe the Undertaker agreed to this. But man, was he a trooper. The Giant Gonzalez, Gold Dust licking his thigh. Taker was all about trying to make whatever, you know, whatever money he could. He was like, all right, whatever. Still doesn't come off as a guy. He won't do a spin a Rooney, but uh, he'll, he'll let Goldust lick his thigh. So that's the Undertaker. I guess it's not him doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's happening to him. I suppose. <laughs> so so uh, I'm just referring, comparing it's like the spin a Rooney, whereas that would be him doing it, and that would sure. kind of kill the gimmick. At least with this, he can retaliate and get revenge so to speak this stuff just made no sense to me like uh, this seems like it's thrown together i don't know why these guys are even having a match and i just uh, it doesn't make any sense i don't like it I, I don't like the selling of it it just i don't know man 
Uh, yeah, like, it's I'm like it's like they created a casket match. They created a casket match for absolutely no reason between Goldust and the Undertaker, and then. Then after they're like, now we got to come up with reasons why we're having a cast match. They kind of book this completely out of order, which could also be a Russo thing. That's no lie. Uh, it just feels like they're just using this as a prop to extend the feud between Undertaker and Mankind, and they're just using Goldust because they got no one else for him. Right. So I don't know. Uh, a lot of these stories leave a lot to be desired. Like the wheels completely fell off after Diesel left <laughs> and those guys because they had to start fresh with something new because there's what happened prior to mania and then the, the blow off of mania at the next in your house, like all that's done. So it's like starting fresh with new angles and new stories and new pairings. And man, they, they came up short big time. Yeah. And they keep mankind in play there, obviously, but just for the short term, we got this gold dust match coming up and well, Hey man, I think the match delivers just about as good as the storylines anyway, not that <laughs> for what it's worth. Not very good. No. Uh, show goes on. It's Justin Hawk Bradshaw taking on Portuguese man of war Aldo Montoya. Uncle Zebekaya, Dutch Mantel, joins commentary. He's the manager of Bradshaw at this point. Aldo Montoya rocking the old spinning fireworks he used to have during his entrances. They must have had some high hopes for him at one point to give him a firework entrance. Now they just have to burn them off, literally. In fact, we used to purchase that specific type of firework. Not as large, but, but on 4th of July every year, we would use those, nail them to the post and light them up, and we called them Montoya's <laughs> just for that very reason there. Hey, where's the Montoya? Nail it up there. All right, here we go. So just a little fun note in my life. <laughs> so JBL, Blackjack Bradshaw, Acolyte, Drunken APA, take your pick. This was my favorite incarnation of Justin Bradshaw, JBL, whatever you want to call him. I loved it. And it might be my love for Stan Hansen, you know, shining through, but he had the right build. He was huge, and he was a, a badass, and he had the, a great look here. Zebekiah joins commentary. People fear JBL, or sorry, sorry, Bradshaw, I should say, says Zebekiah on commentary. I also love how Zeb had to pretend like he didn't know Jerry Lawler. They were meeting for the first time, even though they feuded for like fucking, you know, 10 years or something. Bradshaw dominates the match. Aldo Montoya makes a comeback. He nails a missile dropkick, but eats a big boot to the face. And it's lariat time, boom! And when I when I saw it, I literally yelled, "Boom, Steve!" Because I marked out for it, and then my dog jumped up. I woke my dog up. So, <laughs> anywho, I always love the clothesline. Lariat gets the win, three minutes and forty five seconds, and Bradshaw uh, brands the man of war after that. I forgot all about him having the branding iron until I saw it here. Brands the man of war with the brand the JB branding iron. Yep, I love the clothesline. It's one of my all-time favorite moves, especially when they just wind up and beat the shit out of you with it. Yeah, and uh, Bradshaw certainly didn't give a flying shit about hurting anyone or <laughs> hitting, winding uh, up and hitting not. you as hard as that, he possibly that, can. That, that's what makes it so good. Him and Stan Hansen kind of, you know, they're the same. Like, even probably the Berserker, I'm sure, uh, at times, didn't give a shit. <laughs> He's so, like, it's just, more, it, think, that's what's yeah. so good about it. <laughs> that's what's so good about it is, those big lariats is just nobody cares. They, like the the guys delivering it don't really give a shit the repercussions <laughs> of what happens, and that's that's cool with me. <laughs> as long as it's a lariat, I got you. Okay. Yep. I had mentioned before, I think on the last episode of Monday Warfare about the WF doing the Kuwait turn, uh, the Kuwait tour, I should say. There's a video here, yeah, and they, and uh, Vince does the voiceover, talks about the the former Iraqi aggression in Kuwait, 
and Kuwait overcoming and having their freedom now. Let freedom ring, Steve. We'll have another video on this next week. It morphs into something and just blows my fucking mind. But uh, Vince just trying to get shit over here about Kuwait in the video. And I don't really know what his plan was here. Just felt more like the, uh, the old charity thing that we saw back in 1993 with Vince having to air his charitable work. Here we're talking about Kuwait. We'll continue on with the show, though, because there's more video from Kuwait. It's not about just bombs in Iraq and, and freedom. It's about Bulldog and Shawn Michaels and, and shit like that, because Shawn Michaels randomly at a beach somewhere in Kuwait, very windy, by the way, when he's attacked by the British Bulldog on the beach. Bulldog rocking swimming trunks, by the way, so I'm thinking he was on the beach, too, somewhere. Nobody else was on the beach, I should mention, Steve. Bulldog attacks Shawn Michaels, drags him to the ocean where I presumed that he was going to try to drown him, murder him. I don't really know. Uh, whatever the case may be, Shawn did manage to live through this. But Bulldog kind of beats the crap out of him for supposedly hitting on his wife. This didn't do anything for me then. It didn't, doesn't do anything for me 25 years later. I, I don't mind this because it's it's wrestling related. You know, he's beating him up on the beach, whatever. I think it's funny. It looks cool. Them just fighting in the water a little bit. Uh, but... Uh, as far as the story goes, no, it does nothing for me. So this was this was okay. This is like the only thing that they really do that didn't bother me. Like if, if you hit on my wife or something, I'm going to be pissed and I would want retaliation too. So actual wrestling sense as far as what they're doing here, this is fine. The rest of it, garbage. It's main event time on Raw when we see WWF champion Shawn Michaels with Jose Lothario in his corner taking on Triple H with valet Amy Peterson in his corner this week because click rules. So it's Shawn versus Hunter here. Triple H gets the better of Shawn momentarily as we go into an early commercial break. Shawn Michaels makes the comeback and one-ups Hunter. Hits on his valet, proves he's a womanizer, I wrote. Question mark, huh? Why would you do this, Shawn, in the middle of being accused of all these things? Sean goes out and hits on Hunter's valet. Sean then owns Triple H in the ring, clotheslines him to the floor, skins the cat back inside, then drags Hunter in a headlock uh, back into the ring over the top rope and drops him right on his prominent proboscis. Yeah, that's how you say it. On his big nose, I should say. Sean works Hunter over, works his nose. He didn't work his arm, he didn't work, the, work his leg, didn't work his back. No, he worked Hunter's nose. Vince even calls him W.C. Fields. For those who don't get that reference, why don't you Google it? Uh, Wikipedia, go back about 100 years. Guy had quite a schnoz. Mr. Perfect comes out. Come wa he's watching someone, I'm assuming Shawn Michaels, from the aisleway. Recent issues has Mr. Perfect had with Shawn Michaels. Of course, if you guys remember, we talked about this, where Perfect tried to help Diesel uh, out and beat Shawn Michaels, and that, that plays into something more here moving forward. But outside of the ring, Shawn Michaels charges at Triple H, but eats a hot shot onto the guardrail. Triple H then takes over the match as we go into yet another commercial. Triple H, coming back from commercial, dominates the match. Sean with some hope spots, but a third commercial break, Steve, during this match is perfect, still watching on in the aisleway. I wrote, hmm, wonder why this was given so much time, Steve. Do you wonder why? No. <laughs> I know well, I was why. Being sarcastic. <laughs> oh, Triple H Lord. still in control Shocker. after the third commercial break. Chin lock on Shawn Michaels. Comeback time, though. Shawn counters a pedigree with a catapult and hits the HBK five moves of doom. Perfect then wanders closer to ringside as Shawn counters a powerbomb with a Hurricane Rana, or as Vince called it, a Frankensteiner. I don't think he even noticed that, you know, the Steiners are in WCW. Shawn then finally counters a pedigree into a backdrop and Triple H eats a super kick. Shawn Michaels gets the win. 13 minutes shown without commercials, a 16-minute match. 
Uh, about as good of a match as you could ask for on TV, I'd say. Yeah, it wasn't a bad match. It was pretty good. Um, run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. Nothing, like, overly tremendous. But it was good. Like you said, it was a perfect match for TV. It kind of leaves you wanting more. Maybe not necessarily of Sean and Hunter, but just more of Shawn Michaels, I guess, since he was the champion. And he was entertaining. All BS aside, he was pretty fun uh, to watch in the ring. So, yeah, it, it served its purpose and did what it was supposed to do, make your champion look good in a competitive match. Yeah, com- very competitive match for TV. Sean picks up the clean win with the super kick, and Mr. Perfect leaves ringside. Doesn't interfere in the match, but he is watching on. So keep Mr. Perfect in your mind moving forward here in the weeks to come. Jim Ross then interviews the Bulldog, Jim Cornette, and Diana Smith. Bulldog has Jake the Snake Roberts next week, but Shawn Michaels will be on commentary because that's a good idea. Who the fuck booked that? Bulldog is not happy. He says, Shawn better not go anywhere near Diana. This may be over before in your house should Shawn show up next week for commentary. Bulldog says, he's not going to get anywhere with my near my wife. And Vince, on commentary, says, oh yes he is. So, what the fuck was that about, I wrote? What the hell? Vince McMahon basically yeah. calling the Bulldog, yeah, he is. He's going to get all over your wife. Yeah, pal. Yeah, that was, I, I picked up on that as well. I was like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> what are you trying to say, Vince? Yeah, and he said um, it like definitively. Like, he said it like it was matter of factly. Like, oh, yes, he is. He's going to yeah, rape Yeah, and he sounded, yeah, like exactly. He sounded, yeah, he's going to get your wife, dude. If he wants her, he can have her. Like, that's kind of how it came across. Because he's Shawn Michaels. <sighs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned the skin the cat. Where was you supposed? I supposed to remember that for Raw. Where, where was you? Did you have a comment for that? Or oh no, it wasn't a skin the cat. It was the flip back into the ring. We're 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 going to come up on that on the next episode. Or I apologize. Oh okay. But I okay. appreciate you remembering that. I really do. I, I do remember. Yeah, I'm not going to forget good. stuff. Segment of the <laughs> night was it Triple H and Shawn Michaels, Vader in the dumpster, Gold Dust humping a dead man. I guess you could call it the original Katie Vick angle, sort of. Uh, Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> Telling off the real trash, not the dumpster, but rather Sonny, or was it Warrior Man here? Could be any of those. Take your pick. Uh, Sean and Hunter by default. Lots I of squash so matches. I, yeah. I'm not buying, like, Jerosi or Adam Montoya at this point. I don't think I ever did. Um, Bradshaw looked good. Vader. I thought Vader's match went way too long for Vader. Undertaker stuff makes no sense to me. It's disturbing. I'm still shocked that he allowed that to happen. But business is business, I guess. Yeah, I, I, by default, Triple H and, and Shawn Michaels get the win here. Nothing else on the show really came anywhere near uh, a good wrestling match. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I have to go with you. I don't know that I cared for pretty much anything else on this show. And Ahmed Skip or Zip or what, take your pick. That went like three minutes. So Triple H and Shawn all day long here. And... Ratings are in for May 13th. Saw Monday Night Raw do a 3.5 rating and a 5.1 share, while Nitro at 7 p.m. did a 2.3 rating and a 4.4 share. Raw 3.5, Nitro 2.3. Both numbers are considered very strong for their respective slots. So DeMeltz contradicts himself. He claims Nitro's going to two hours because they're panicking about their ratings. And then he says, that's very strong for 7 o'clock. So... The Meltzer, everyone. Hey, where's those? Uh, where's those eighteen to forty nine demos? I need that breakdown. Yeah, where's the demo? So yeah. we can get. So he we didn't can know get, about uh... the demos back then. Didn't did, did you hear him explain <laughs> himself on Twitter? 
Oh, he said that demos were mattered since the the CBS thing of 78. So if demos been in that important for that long, then how come you never reported them on before, buddy? Quit carrying the water for AEW. <laughs> we'll move on. The real winner here, Steve, is it, uh, is it Nitro or is it Raw, would you say, this week? I'm going to go with Nitro. Um, okay. I'm just not into these stories that they have going on in WWF. I, I don't like them. I never did care for them. Uh, I thought they were ridiculous. Nitro, uh, you know, the angle with Luger at the end was very well done. Uh, I thought it was the best thing on either show, to be fair. And um, there wasn't a lot of heat on that Giant and Sting match going into Slamboree. Yeah, not at all. So I think Sting Sting defending his buddy added some to it. So I thought that was a, a solid booking decision, a solid angle. And uh, to me, it like, tipped a favor. Like, there's not a lot of anything on either one of these shows to really ride home about. Right. But that angle was good enough and memorable enough to tip the balance. Sean right, and Hunter not- was good, but... I'm, I'm not I'm right. good. I got you. <laughs> um, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going raw for one specific thing: Sean versus Hunter. I'm not, now. If you're going to ask <laughs> me what the the best segment overall for the weekend or the Monday night was, yeah, it was Luger going through the table. I'm not going to argue that. But the fact that Sean and Hunter went a quarter of Raw and had a probably one of the better TV match. Let's let's just be honest. You didn't get. I mean, I understand it was run of the mill, but it was it was solid. It was good. There was nothing bad about it. You didn't get matches like that back then on TV very much because usually the guys that were given and, 15 minutes were named Hulk Hogan and, and guys like that, and they weren't really putting on <laughs> matches like this. Of course, that'll change next uh, week on Nitro. But for here right now, that 15 minutes yeah. or whatever you want to call it, it just overtakes that one minute that Luger goes through the table for me. Best thing on either show, Luger going through the table. But – that's just way more of Raw than, than what Luger did on Nitro, so I have to go with Raw. Although, I, if this makes any sense in the world, I'd rather watch Nitro again. <laughs> That's how bad the rest of yeah. Raw was. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I think, too, the other, another big thing about that Triple H match and Hunter or Sean was there's a clean winner. When you had two names in the ring like that, you didn't really get clean finishes from the WWF. Um, so to get a clean win out of a 16-minute match is pretty damn good for WWF. We're running long on time here, so I'm going to skip over WCW Slamboree results because they take place on the 19th of May before we get to Nitro here on the 20th. You guys can go on Wikipedia or go watch it on the Peacock, but make sure you go over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Me and Steve, yes, we've done Slamboree 96, the watch-along. You guys can watch along on the Peacock or internationally. You guys can still use the WWE Network to watch Slamboree 96. I don't know why on earth you'd want to, but our commentary is fun. So you can check us out there. <laughs> Slamboree 96, the watch along, part of the watch along series there on the all access tier at WrestleCopia. That's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Thank you guys for that. And we'll move on. So Slamboree results. Obviously, we had the Lethal Lottery. Of course, Steiner versus Steiner, Road Warrior versus Road Warrior, foes teaming up, baby faces facing each other, all kinds of silly nonsense going on here. But the, the gist of this whole thing is the winners of the first and second round advance into an eight-man battle bowl, if you want to call it that, where you can win by either going out of the ring or eliminating your opponents out of the ring or pinning them, of all things here. DDP, yeah, the guy that just got announced for the fucking pay-per-view on Monday, picks up the win here. He wins battle bowl, wins the battle bowl ring, the coveted battle bowl ring, and he earns a shot because, remember, the winner was supposed to receive a shot 
at the Giant at the upcoming Great American Bash pay-per-view. We'll see what happens there with that. Speaking of the Giant, yes, he does also successfully defeat Sting here on Slamboree, so the Giant retains the WCW title as we head into Monday Nitro. Any comments before we move on to Nitro, Steve? All right, we'll just move on. WCW Monday Nitro, May 20th, 1996, a special 90-minute edition. I did mention last week's episode was the final 60-minute edition. They're in Monroe, Louisiana at the Civic Center. 4,000 fans in attendance, over 3,200 paid. NBA playoffs continue, but this is for the final week of the NBA playoffs. So this is a special 90-minute show. They're kind of building us up to the two-hour episode, which will debut next week on TNT. Heenan and Bischoff on commentary. No more Steve McMichael. He's gone, and so is Pepe. Bon voyage. We see clips from last night's Slamboree, where Mongo introduces Kevin Green to Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. We learn it's going to be a tag team match at the Great American Bash. And to add realism to the whole thing, Eric Bischoff <laughs> says, It's official. As of 11.15 this morning, the match was signed. I was like, wow. <laughs> what a detail to throw in there, Eric. So I Kevin ha- Green just showing up without signing the match, huh? That's right. That's uh, pretty much supposedly how, how it went down here. And I did like the one line in there. Flair kind of gets that jab in during that back and forth with Mongo. Who you got? Lawrence Taylor? So I thought that was a little funny. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Taylor's had his, his fill of wrestling. Dude main event in WrestleMania. Why would you ever come back from that? No reason. No reason at all. You know, he started off in WCW, though. He was... Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I remember. Like, Heyman would always go to his club, and they had that stuff with, what, Luger? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I get it, but... You 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 main evented Mania. I'm done. One and zero at WrestleMania. That's my only match. <laughs> Shit, man. <laughs> pay me, pay me, pay me. You know that's how these guys think. Exactly. Yeah. So we uh, get to the ring, and we we just saw this match just a few weeks ago on Monday Nitro, and I said, "Give me more." Well, I asked for it, Steve. It's the Steiner brothers taking on Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train. Ask and ye shall receive. It's a rematch. These guys only got three or four minutes the last time in the ring, and they just beat the living shit out of each other. It was it was a fun slobber knocker, folks. As uh, Scott yeah. and Ice Train start here, this rematch, back and forth, working snug. Scotty with an overhead belly-to-belly on Train. Then it's Rick and Scott Norton's turn in the ring. Norton plows over Rick Steiner, walks through him with clotheslines. No other man can walk into you with a clothesline and you'd be able to buy it. Like, I would have shit all over this if any other guy had done this, but Scott Norton somehow manages to walk into Rick Steiner with a clothesline, and I bought it. Believe me. There's very few people that can do that. Rick Steiner comes back on Norton with a released German suplex, and a Steiner line gets two. Scott Steiner in the ring, I couldn't believe Dragon suplex, a full Nelson suplex on Scott Norton. You got to give it to Norton for agreeing to take some of these bumps here. He's a big dude. We can joke about him not having a neck in order to break one, but you can seriously break one with this kind of weight coming down on top of you. Uh, that's no lie. I've seen him, man. He can barely, he can't even turn his head. Norton goes out to the floor. Scott Steiner climbs to the top rope. I was like, what is he doing here? He actually slips as he tries to leap off and hits an elbow or, or something on top of Norton out there, double axe handle. Not really sure what it was supposed to be. Norton then smashes Scott Steiner back in the ring with a, a nasty Simone drop, all of his weight on top of him. But Scott Steiner manages to make the hot tag to Rick Steiner. Ice Train also tags in. Immediately, they run into each other with a double clothesline. Leads to a four-way melee on the floor. Norton lands the old Papa Shango reverse shoulder breaker on the outside on Scott Steiner. 
Uh, moments later, Scott Steiner gets up and nails Norton with a German suplex on the floor. Uh, meanwhile, we learn that both teams have been counted out as the WCW does what they love to do best and pick up that split screen fighting action. Five minutes and 24 seconds, double count out. I wrote, first match was much better. Uh, it was sloppy in the latter mm-hmm. half here. Crap finish. They did the finishes out of order. We saw the pinfall last time. This time it's a double count out. I enjoyed the first match much better. Yeah, I did too. It almost makes you think like they saw the first match and thought like we did. Like, holy shit, this was really good. Let's give them some more. Yeah. But let's protect them this time so we can get even more out of it. But like you said, we've already seen the finish. The Steiners already pinned them. So you kind of did it out of order there. But I don't know if you picked up on it or, or what, but it seemed like Norton got a little wobbly. I wonder if that forearm off the top really connected or, or did something to him because, like you said, Scott slipped, and he ate it pretty good right in the side of his neck. So I wonder if he got, like, a stinger or something because after that, he just didn't seem right. Like That's when it kind of broke down a little bit. He just very looked well, off. and Very well could be. And I don't know if you've seen at the end, like, when he's talking to Patrick about the count out and just being pissed about it, he kind of yeah. bent over. And was looking down at the ground, and then he looked up and kind of sold it like he was just angry. But he just looked off a little bit because they had an ugly like double shoulder block where he he was like charging, and then he kind of just stopped because he, I don't know if he could commit to it or what the deal was. But Train kind of just ran over Rick, I think it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Scott really couldn't do it. So that's really I wonder if that's what caused it because up to that point it was actually pretty decent, but it, the wheels kind of fell off there. But yeah, careful what you wish for, huh? <laughs> we get a three and a half minute match. It was fun as hell. You get five and a half, and it's like, eh, this went a little too long. Yeah, that's uh, it was unfortunate. I was expect. I was like, when I saw them coming, I'm like, oh hell yeah. And Me then, too. And then Me we got too. That. <laughs> uh, we get the old WCW magazine commercial where Sting turns into a kid reading the magazine. Do you know who that kid went on to be? No. Eric Bischoff's son, Garrett Bischoff. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No clue. Yeah. I know now. Yes, sir. Back to the ring. Oh, my God. Nature Boy Ric Flair with Liz and Woman taking on Eddie Guerrero. Last night at Slamboree, it was Flair and Savage taking on Arn Anderson and Guerrero. This is kind of Guerrero's way of getting a little revenge, but it's also our way of getting a good match on TV here this week. Mm-hmm. Flair teases Randy Savage. He kisses Liz's hand. He's really pissing the Macho Man off, who is not permitted in the building, by the way. Flair takes a weird drop toe hold. I thought it was a mistake when he did it to, with VK Wall Street last week, but he does it exactly the same way here again this week with Eddie. I'm like, oh, this is just the way Flair takes the uh, drop toe hold bump. Kind of stalls and staggers. I don't know. Anyways, it's just kind of interesting. Eddie controls early on. Ric Flair chops the shit out of Eddie. Eddie finally starts chopping him right back. Drop kick Flair over the top rope to the floor. Rick goes over and grabs his VIP chair. But referee Randy Anderson gets into it with Rick, and Randy Anderson begins shoving the nature boy. Eddie does the Ric Flair strut as well during the match and uh, upsets Ric Flair just a little bit more. More chops by Eddie Guerrero. Flair flop. Eddie Guerrero controls seven minutes of the match at this point, all the way into commercial break. So Flair's getting some shots in, but seven minutes, mostly Eddie Guerrero, and he's looking good. Coming back from the break, Guerrero's still in control. Top rope sunset flip has to pull down the Nature Boy's trunks to pull him over for the two. Eddie dominates more often than not for the first 10 minutes, even though Brain calls it 50-50. 
Flair with the inverted atomic drop and finally takes over, but Guerrero fights right back, continues with hope spots and near falls as Ric Flair works on the offense. Flair misses a punt kick and Eddie locks in a figure four of his own on the Nature Boy. Flair gets to the ropes to uh, commence a break. Eddie misses a top rope dive out to the floor and hurts his knee. So basically, Guerrero locks in the figure four. Flair gets to the ropes and rolls outside to recover as, as uh, Guerrero goes to the top rope, dives out onto Flair, but Flair sidesteps. And Guerrero blows out his knee, kayfabe, folks. Flair suplexes Eddie on the outside, then back inside. Guerrero still fighting back, hobbling on the knee, but still with hope spots. So they give Eddie all the work in the world here in this match. Flair flip up into the corner and out to the apron, and Eddie drop kicks him off. I loved it. Back inside, Tornado DDT. May have been the first time ever that I can recall anyway here in WCW. One, two, near fall with the Tornado DDT. Really woke the announcers and the crowd up. Not that they were dead, but they really popped for that Tornado DDT there. Eddie walks the ropes into a flying Hurricane Rana and sets Flair up for the frog splash. I thought for sure this was it. I thought Rick was going to get out of the way of this, but no, the frog splash connects, but Eddie hurts his knee further on the way down and he can't make the cover. Rick Flair sees the opening and it's woo figure four time. Eddie tries to block it. And I love that too. Great psychology. Eddie putting his hand on Flair's leg, trying to keep him from locking in that figure four, but Flair locks it in. Woman again this week, more added leverage. Does Eddie submit? No. He passes out. One, two, three from the pain, and Ric Flair picks up the win. 19 and a half minutes. One year ago, Steve, Eddie was in a bingo hall. Now he's wrestling a 20-minute match with Ric Flair on TNT. Yeah, that was uh, it was really, really good. Uh, the Tornado DT popped the shit out of Bobby Heenan. He was, like, going nuts. He really sold the move. He's like, He thought it was just the greatest movie he's ever seen it almost felt like just a a really really excellent match uh, i don't know you kind of watch this match and you think man sean and hunter wasn't that great no definitely right no uh frick flair was really giving eddie everything that he needed to establish himself as a as a player i'm not saying he should be in the title picture anytime soon i'm not no, saying right. he should be elevated past what he is but there's something there, and it's like, I want to see more of Eddie Guerrero. You're, you're just intrigued with him and what he can do and maybe get him in there with somebody else because um, he's clearly shown that he deserves more than what he's getting. So he needs to be on TV every week and really establish like a character, something that can get him over to the masses. And um, this is a great start. Unfortunately, we know where it goes, but Eddie's the man, and this was a hell of a match. And I think... Rick Flair, I think I don't know if he went in playing the character, but after two or three minutes, like he, he was like, okay, it's time to go, and he put on his best work in a long time too. I feel like, yeah. And uh, Demelt says best match on Nitro in a long time, but I'm gonna go one step further here, Steve. I'm gonna say this may be Rick Flair's final good match. I mean, really, really good. I don't mean by with the, with the Shawn Michaels match where, where the emotions are there. I mean, wrestling wise, old Ric Flair, it took a young guy that can go to force Ric Flair to keep up. And he did to, to, to Ric Flair's level. This might be Ric Flair's last good wrestling match. It's definitely possible. I know we got a lot of Ric Flair to come, but I, I think as far as a pure wrestling match, this is probably one of the last for sure. Yeah. Uh really no really no story. 
that's driving it. This was just a young pup in the ring with Ric Flair. And Ric Flair said, it's time to go. And he made Eddie Guerrero look like a million bucks. He put him over even though he lost. He made Eddie look really good. Like, he made Eddie look like a winner in losing. Just yeah, this really, is definitely really one of those instances where Eddie loses and he doesn't look like a loser whatsoever because everybody knows what who Eddie Guerrero is now after that match. Yep, absolutely. 100%. I wrote, if they can keep this up in the two-hour format, just one really good match every week that goes 20 minutes, I'm sold. Unfortunately... The NWO yeah, come in, and is, it's, <laughs> unfortunately, they don't need I think if they would, to have a really good match every week. I think if they would have stuck to this format, they would still be here. So The NWO is fine, but they shouldn't right. dominate 70% of the show. No, and that's kind of what that's killed the, killed the NWO. <laughs> it's just too much. That's, that's when the trains went off the track. So this is what I didn't like. I didn't care for the fact that Ric Flair just wrestled a 20-minute match where Eddie Guerrero gave him everything he could handle. Damn near beat the the former, however many time world champion is here in 1996. And he goes straight over to the VIP table. I was fine with that last week. He wrestled IRS in a seven minute snooze fest. This week he goes 20 minutes of action with Eddie Guerrero, walks straight over to the VIP table to have a promo uh, with Mean Gene Okerlund, of course, conducting the interview. Mean Gene has heard the macho man is inside the building. Flair heard Savage is in jail for trying to break up a Flair dinner party with the ladies. Flair says Mongo isn't here because he ran scared of Flair and Arn Anderson from Slamboree. He says Kevin Green also made two mistakes. One, coming into North Carolina, because he joined the Panthers, without asking Flair's permission. I kind of like that one. Second, Flair says, you can't cross-train football to wrestling like Flair has cross-trained his girls. My God. Goodness. Flair says Green won't even make it to NFL minicamp. Flair ch- closes things by taking his champagne with him, and he's going to go join commentary. Mean Gene the Lush is upset that Ric Flair took the champagne with him. So Ric Flair going to join commentary for the remainder of the night. Can't wait for the one-liners. One-liners all night long after this. I, I wrote some of them down. Some of them I didn't. I, I see a couple of them here in this upcoming match as we go back to the ring tag team champion Sting and Luger taking on the Faces of Fear, Ming, and the Barbarian. Flair, as I pointed out, joins commentary. So Heenan lights the candles. He's brought the candles with him from the VIP table. Uh, Flair references Deborah McMichael and says, Debbie from Dallas? Jeez. Oh, Lord. At this point, (laughs) Eric Bischoff asks Ric Flair, have you ever been in the ring with the likes of an NFL player? Bischoff not realizing, uh, you know, past history. Ric Flair says, he tamed Wahoo McDaniel. Wahoo, of course, worked, you know, played for the Jets, among several other teams. He retired the big cat, Ernie Ladd. None, none of this is true, but he did wrestle these guys. Ernie Ladd, of course, with the Chargers. And Ernie Ladd actually got drafted by the NFL and the AFL. I don't know if you knew that, Steve. The same year, he chose to go with the Chargers and the AFL. So, uh, yeah, the big cat drafted by both the NFL and AFL, uh, same year. Pretty impressive athlete there. He was at one point, but his knees were shot by, by the end of the 70s. Lad, though, uh, or uh, Flair, Flair, though, goes on and on Sucks and on. Sucks to be tall, huh? Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I, I didn't care for here was Flair, you know, made the rest of the night about Flair. So even though he would pivot and kind of go, yes, Sting's the greatest athlete, or Ming's the toughest, you know, king of the, the Polynesian Islands or whatever he calls him, it always goes back to Ric Flair, as, as you would expect. And uh, I forgot Sting and Luger were even champions at this point. 
They defend the title so little. It's back and forth in the ring. Lex taking a little bit of heat from Ming. Rick then sings into the commercial break. Debbie does the nature boy. I can't believe this made. Well, I guess it was live. It had to make air. But I can't believe Bischoff didn't kind of have a conversation with Rick during the commercial break after a line like that. Yeah, it doesn't stop. (laughs) I can't believe this is still on the Peacock, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So we come Uh, back from commercial break. Sting taking it to both faces of fear. He tries a bear hug on the Barbarian. Looks like a missed spot here. They kind of collided and Sting just, well, hell, goes, goes into a bear hug on the Barbarian. Looks absolutely ridiculous. But you can tell Sting's calling a spot as he's holding Barbarian. And uh, Sting misses a drop kick, and the Faces of Fear take over. Inverted atomic drop by Ming as Barbarian lays in a big boot. Nice finisher there. Uh, if you guys ever watched their couple matches in the WWF right around WrestleMania 7, Barbarian and Haku as a team, that was actually their finisher. They nail it on Sting here. Lex Luger breaks up the count. Barbarian then takes Sting all the way to the top rope with a belly-to-belly superplex. And holy shit, he throws Sting the entire (laughs) length of the ring. I can't believe Sting even took this move. Even in 1996, they literally both stood on the top rope and Barbarian with a fucking overhead belly-to-belly or whatever. It just Just launches him. Yeah. Unbelievable. And if that wasn't that enough, on YouTube. it does. It it's a hell, hell of a spot. Or a GIF, some on Twitter. Has, it'll be up for sure. That wasn't enough from the Barbarian. Both faces of fear then go up to opposite corners of the top rope. Stereo diving headbutts. That should be it for the Stinger. Ming makes the cover, but Lex Luger distracts the referee. By the time, time the referee does make the count, Sting kicks out. Sting then launches himself towards Lex Luger to try to make the tag, but Ming catches him in midair and drags him back. Heenan claims Luger, Luger could have made that tag, but Bischoff honestly covering for Luger here, defending Lex Luger, so it feels like Lex is really coming on as a babyface. At least the announcers are buying it as such. Barbarian goes back up top again, misses the diving head, but this time Sting again launches himself at Luger, and this time he makes the tag, hot tag. To Lex Luger, he goes off on both faces of fear, forearm to the Barbarian, makes the cover, but Ming breaks it up. We end up with the four-way melee. Luger posts Ming on the outside while Barbarian tries another top rope superplex on Sting. But Luger trips the Barbarian up on the rope. Barb takes the bump. Sting with some great height off the top rope with a big splash on top of Barbarian. And then Luger, the legal man, rolls inside the ring, steals that pin. Ten and a half minutes. Honestly, this was pretty okay considering some of the guys involved here. Uh, 1996 standards. Yeah, I thought it was good. That belly-to-belly really sticks out and kind of hides some of the bad stuff. But I don't think anyone, like, they weren't in control long enough to get sloppy or bad, I I don't think. They had control just enough to get their stuff in. Uh, There was a few missed spots, but overall, this was a pretty solid tag team match. I I enjoyed it. And if you don't pop over that belly-to-belly, then you're not a wrestling fan. That shit was (laughs) wild. Yeah, looking at it on paper, I felt it was going to be slow and plotting. I was really dreading watching the match, but when I saw that it was going 10 minutes, I was really dreading it. No, I I thought it was good. Good good for TV. We go on. It's Macho Man Randy Savage promo. He's banned from the building. Steve, he's so mad he arrived in ring gear. Randy Savage always ready to to get in the ring. Uh, right out there with his cowboy hat. He's pissed off and he wants he wants it Ric Flair, but he's got his wrestling gear on. WCW higher-ups are concerned about the Macho Man, says Mean Gene. 
They're meeting on his future right now. He might not even be able to wrestle any further with WCW. Randy says, be real careful what they decide to do about the future of the Macho Man. He tries to run in the building at the end of the segment, but he is stopped by police. So Randy Savage still trying to get at Ric Flair, and he wants him even more after their issues last night at Slamboree. Yeah, I think Macho Man's clothes are so cool, man. He probably just rocks that. <laughs> <laughs> this looks like his uh, uh, I'm going to walk around town gear. Compared These to are my pajamas, gear. huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <sighs> But no, this is... Uh, actually, I, I enjoy this. He's so nuts and he's snapped, and I think they're just doing little things to piss him off, so you can't get in. We're conversating about your future in the company. All these things that are out of his control, and Macho Man wants to be in control of himself. He snapped to the point where he can't do it anymore, so somebody has to make decisions for him, and he hates it. So not a bad story being told here at all. We go to a vignette as blood continues to run cold, and back to the ring. It's the winner of Battle Bowl and the Battle Bowl ring. It's Diamond Dallas Page taking on Brad Armstrong, who lost to Dean Malenko in a cruiserweight title match at Slamboree as well. Flair remains on commentary as DDP tries to wrestle Brad. When that doesn't work, he puts the boots to Brad Armstrong. As we go into a commercial break, we come back, and this crowd is D-E-A-D dead. To give you an idea of how bad it was that DDP went over at Battle Bowl, he has no response here from the crowd. Now think about that for a second. He wins two matches in Lethal Lottery, wins the Battle Bowl, beats three guys with this new finisher. Well, it's not really new anymore, but they're trying to get it over as an unbeatable, you can't kick out of it type of move here. As uh, DDP misses a shoulder charge in the corner, it's time for Armstrong to make his comeback, but the crowd is eh. Brad does the 10 turnbuckle smashes in the corner, and Flair says, I used to do that to Savage back when he could get into the building to wrestle. I thought that was a good line. I laughed at that. It's probably, probably the best Flair line all night as far as uh, <laughs> wrestling goes. He goes, they're just yeah, doing that's it. Pretty funny. Uh, match goes on. Brad comes off the top rope with the cross body block, gets a two count. Back up, but runs right into the diamond cutter. DDP gets the win seven and a half minutes. Bischoff likes to say context is king on his podcast, Steve. And recently, when I listened to his version of Slamboree 96, he questioned DeMeltz's comments about trashing Brad Armstrong, not as a wrestler, but being put in that position and how it lowered the, the meaning of the cruiserweight title belt when Brad Armstrong's getting a title shot. Context is king, Bischoff. This right here is why... And I can't believe I'm defending Dave Meltzer. But here, this here is why Dave said what he said about Brad Armstrong. It's not about his talent. It's about the way he was booked and used. Yeah, I remember him saying, like, it just devalues things because he's been a jobber, like, ever since he's been on TV. You can go all the way back to 89, 90, 91, whenever he was there. Like, he jobbed. He was a jobber. That's kind of how he's always been portrayed. He's never been established as somebody that's serious. So when you see Brad Armstrong in the ring, it's just like, okay, he's going to make the, the guy that they want to get over, get over and look good doing it. And he's going to take the job and do the job. And that's what he is. He's an enhancement talent. That's how he's always yeah, been booked. That's how he's always been portrayed. It's sad. Well, he's a hell of a talent in his own right. Oh yeah. But that's just the way it was. So seeing him on pay-per-view or seeing him in the cruiserweight title match or tournament, it really didn't make any sense. It's just a guaranteed loss for him is how people would look at it. Yeah, I mean, that is how you would look at it here in 96, and unfortunately, you know, that's that's just the situation we're in. The only time Brad really had any kind of a real push on the national level 
and actually got over to any degree was when Bill Watts was in, in uh, WCW. He was giving Brad a lot of those, basically those Eddie Guerrero type spots we saw earlier. Really good matches on TV. He didn't necessarily win them all, but it, it was the most over and the, the best push I think Brad had ever been in his WCW runs anyway. Mean Gene enters the ring after DDP pins Armstrong here. Mean Gene wants to talk with DDP about his win at Battle Bowl. Remember, the winner gets a shot at the Giant at the Great American Bash for the WCW title. DDP lists almost everyone in the Lethal Lottery, even though he didn't wrestle most of them. The Steiners, the Road Warriors, I beat them all. Well, not really. Uh, but only one man was left standing. That was DDP. He has only one person to thank. I thought he was going to say his benefactor, but I think they've already dropped that, Steve. Instead. DDP thanks himself. He gives himself a self-high-five. DDP then calls out WCW champion the Giant. He won the right for the title shot at Great American Bash. And that's when Gene informs Paige, I can't believe this shit, that at one point during the Battle Bowl, one of DDP's feet were on the floor, meaning he should have been eliminated, I suppose. So... Even though they'll allow Dallas Page to win, even though the Battle Bowl win counts and he gets to keep that ring, he's no longer the number one contender for the Giant at the Great American Bash. Clearly, this wasn't initially the plan. DDP was put in here, shoehorned in here at the last minute, less than a week in, and he gets the win, of all things, at Battle Bowl, and they have to change the rules by pulling him out of the Great American Bash match. So. We learned that Lex Luger now gets the title shot. For what reason? I don't know. Remember, DDP pinned the Barbarian last in the Battle Bowl, so why isn't Barbarian getting that title shot? No, it's just Lex Luger, I suppose, I guess from taking that table uh, <laughs> spot last week. DDP <laughs> grabs Gene, and Gene wants an officer in here, damn it. Yeah. They, they didn't know what was going on with DDP here. The benefactor thing gets created, then dropped. He wasn't in the Battle Bowl, then he's in it, and he wins it. It's supposed to be for the title, but now it's not. They there's a lot of changing of of angles and storylines and things here, all for DDP, all for nothing, <laughs> because like they just completely. I don't think we've ever seen a lethal lottery again. This is the last one. I don't know how you can come back from this because it's basically useless. It's it's a waste of time if you're just going to modify the rules after the fact. After Royal Rumble '95, like it's kind of been set in stone that Battle Royals both feet have to touch the floor. But you, since you booked yourself into a corner that you didn't know how to get out of or whatever the hell you're trying to do here, you got to change that rule and say, well, your foot hit the floor, so you were eliminated. I don't like it. It's stupid. Why even have this pay-per-view? Why do any of this? For what? What's the reason? To have a ring on this dude's finger? I don't know. So that he can feud with Jim Duggan, who I think steals the ring at some point, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, I know. I know that's coming, but um, <laughs> I just—it uh, makes absolutely no sense at all. It's not very good, and um, it feels like a waste of time. And this is one of those things. It's kind of a precursor to what's to come. Like things just get started, stopped, and tossed to the side for really no reason at all. And this was one of the earlier ones. Yeah, they go out of their way to put DDP in this position and then immediately after they put him in this position he's off doing disney taping oh, with hacksaw jim duggan yeah it's like oh never mind we didn't mean to do this <laughs> <laughs> slambery never happened yeah wcw so bret hart was the fightingest champion in the world wrestling federation well the giant it must be the fightingest champion here in wcw 
He beat Lex Luger. Well, I don't know if he beat him, but he certainly beat him down. Lex Luger last week on Nitro. This week, the Giant defending the title against Arn Anderson. The Giant out with Jimmy Hart in his corner. Arn Anderson out with Kevin Sullivan in his corner. But Kevin Sullivan's part of the Dungeon of Doom, which includes the Giant and Jimmy Hart. Pre-match, Kevin Sullivan explains to a confused Jimmy Hart that he was there just to make sure Arn Anderson gets a fair shot. After Arn kept his word to Sullivan throughout the other issues like the Brian Pillman situation. Jimmy Hart says, I understand, baby. And nothing works for Arn here as the match gets going, but Arn does eat a giant backdrop. Pun intended. Arn goes out to the floor, but he's tossed back inside. The giant is slow to get back in over the top rope, and Arn raises the top rope for a low blow, crotches the giant with the top rope. Arn comes off the middle rope three times with a double axe handle, finally drops the giant down to a knee. He looks for his patented DDT, but the giant lifts him up in the air and turns it into a chokeslam. Giant gets the win, three minutes, 37 seconds, and Ric Flair's off commentary. He's out of there. Yeah, he wants no part of that. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like a throwaway. Like, why do you got Arn Anderson in there going through that? I think this way to get their champion on TV. I don't know any other reason why this match was there. Yeah, and you couldn't rush the DDP match because you were going to protect him to build him into something, only you don't do that. So none of this makes any sense whatsoever. Giant over Arn Anderson in three and a half minutes. Reminder, next week, Nitro goes to two hours as Bobby Heenan walks off with Ric Flair's VIP leftovers. Bobby, always always the, the comic relief here. He picks up the candle. <laughs> He's taking the candle with him. I think he puts an apple in his pocket and uh, grabs the bucket of champagne. Bobby Heenan off the Nitro stage. Segment of the night, Steve. Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair. Sting and Luger in the faces of fear. Or Debbie does Flair. Well, it's definitely not that one. I will say the uh, Sting and the Sting belly to belly was like the coolest thing you'll see on either show for May 20th, 1996. But the match itself between Eddie and Ric Flair was excellent. Yeah, it was very good. So fun to watch. And I was, we kind of got like a show replay, rematches at the the beginning of this show because we've seen Eddie and Flair before. Right. uh, I think on, on the earlier episodes of Nitro. So seeing it again, even though it's been like six, seven months since we've seen it the first time. Is just as good, if not better, this time because they got 20 minutes. So just a, a, a tremendous match. Very fun. Heenan and Bischoff stayed on task and really put the match over. Uh, they got the guys over. Um, Flair did a great job. Eddie did awesome. It was just really good all around. It was a solid, excellent 20 minutes of wrestling TV. Yeah, and normally I talk about, oh, it was a good TV match. I like to use that term, a good TV match. That means nothing special, but it was really good compared to what we normally get on TV. This was better than just a good TV match. This was as good as you can ask for as far as a normal free TV match would go. Uh, It was definitely high ranks for me, for sure, and my segment of the night all night long. It felt like a clash match. Like, this would be something that you would have seen. A clash main event, Clash of the champion. Yeah, yeah. Like, this would have been built up as a really good main event, and it would have delivered a solid 20, 25-minute match. That's what it felt like. Felt yeah. special. I don't know if it's just because you're like we're looking at it retroactively and in a historical sense. It's Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair, but it just felt different. It just hit different. I don't know. I don't know why, but yeah. it was really good. So we uh, move over to the WWF side of things here for May 20th. We look at a little bit of WWF news. Reports are that Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior, 
is easier to get along with this time, Steve, than he was in the past. Helwig did arrive two hours late for an autograph session the day of the Madison Square Garden show on the 19th. Uh, I found that comical that Dave, Dave Meltzer would write that Jim Helwig is easier to get along with this time. We'll find out just how long that lasts. I'm surprised he didn't put anabolic warrior is easier to get along with this time. Good point. Warrior man here. Yokozuna returned, having lost, uh, by his own accounts, 33 pounds. Of course, we know that's not true. DeMelt says, at Yoko's size, it's hard to really notice. Really, Dave? After the pay-per-view, the in-your-house pay-per-view, Yoko is supposed to go back to Duke University Weight Loss Clinic for another four weeks. Now, I don't know if Yoko goes back, but we both know he doesn't lose any weight here. In fact, he gains it as he's sending people off to go buy him buckets of fried chicken by his own account. Yeah. Or he had a runner go getting pizzas and stuff like that. Yeah. It's been written and spoken about. Now there's a documentary about him. There's nothing really need to be said. It's just a sad situation. Very so sad. Be- so before we kick off Raw here for May 20th, we're going to talk really quickly about Madison Square Garden the night before, Sunday night, May 19th. The Godwins beat the Body Donnas for the tag team titles, but that's not the big news. No, no. It was the final night in the company. For Razor, Ramon, and Diesel, ding dong, the cancers are gone as of May 19th in Madison Square Garden. The reason for Razor and Diesel not doing any TV jobs on the way out was different in each case. Razor scheduled to put over Mankind and Bulldog at TV tapings, but when he came to Omaha for the pay-per-view, he had a note from his doctor, Steve, saying he had a groin injury and he couldn't work at all. He wasn't even going to work the pay-per-view with Vader, going to work his way out of everything. He then agreed to do the pay-per-view match with Vader since fewer people would see it and money was at stake. It was pay-per-view money, but he couldn't do the TV taping. So Razor basically found his way out of jobbing on TV on the way out the door. (laughs) The final appearance of Diesel and Razor in the (laughs) WWF came in a strange curtain call finale of the click before the first indoor non-pay-per-view house in WWE history to top Three hundred thousand dollars, May nineteenth at the Madison Square Garden, the Garden's second straight sellout. The first time that's happened in eleven years. You go back to nineteen eighty-five. Wow, it's eighteen thousand eight hundred fans. And uh, Demelt says the last time there was even a sellout was WrestleMania ten. Both Diesel and Ramon in their final appearances before starting with WCW mid June were the recipient recipients of chance of you sold out and please don't go by a decent percentage of the crowd that seemed to know it was their final show. Ramon was booked, was booed in his match with Triple H. Look at that, Ramon versus Triple H, wow. And heavily booed with a loud You Sold Out chant after he did the job. After the match, he grabbed the house mic, and before he could get more than a few words out, since this wasn't part of the show, panicked WWF officials cut off the power to the microphone. As it was, all Ramon ended up saying was something to the effect of telling the people, Say goodbye to the bad guy. However, it wasn't over yet after a very strong main event cage match where Shawn Michaels kept his title defeating Diesel. After the match, the two hugged in the ring. Ramon and fellow click member Triple H then came to ringside and all four got on all four posts. We've seen the video, the the handheld footage, WWE's even shown it, and gave click signs to the fans, some of whom were teary-eyed and saying it was one of the most emotional moments in recent MSG years. Supposedly, the final display wasn't approved by WWE officials, but it got over great with the audience, so little will probably result from it. Well, that's debatable. Ask Triple H. However, there were other (laughs) wrestlers who were very unhappy at what they considered a kayfabe violation. Yeah, amongst others. 
a kayfabe <laughs> violation. You know, when Bruce Pritchard talks about this to this day, he, he gets pretty damn pissed off, too. Particularly since Triple H was in the ring hugging Razor Ramon and Diesel and had just finished a match with Michaels, who had just finished a match with Michaels, and uh, Diesel magically arose from the finishing move by being kissed by Shawn Michaels. The other click member, 123Kid, wasn't at the show, as his future with the company is somewhat in question after he showed up the Superstars taping on April 30th in no condition to perform. And he won't be back until the earliest in June. We, of course, we know he won't be back at all. 123Kid going to be out the door as well. So, uh, yeah, there it is, the click curtain call situation. More bullshit from the click here. It's only they matter. Yeah, it's selfish and um, ridiculous. It's one thing to go out playing politics and being stupid like Ramon and the doctors know, whatever. That's fine. That impacts you. It doesn't impact necessarily anyone else. I mean, Sean, Mankind and Bulldog, they can fill somebody else in there. It's not going to give them, do them any favors, I don't think. But to, to totally just say F you to everybody in the back, F you to the business, and F you to Vince McMahon, who paid you both quite nicely for a long period of time, made you who you are, and the sole reason you got the job offer that you got from Eric Bischoff, right? And just to give them the F you, like the the middle finger, on their way out the door, this tells you what kind of people they are or were. Uh, they they may have changed. I don't know. Um, I don't think it's so. just it's just extremely selfish. I and I will say like I don't I I think Hunter probably just went with it because he was there. Yeah, and these are his boys, but I don't think he had like I don't know. He's too young in his run to sacrifice anything i don't care how close he is to hunter that doesn't make or sean that doesn't make a lot of sense to me like he would participate the other two don't give a shit and sean surely doesn't care it's like what are you gonna do fire your champion that's gonna be bad so like he has vince's nuts in a vice grip so he can do what he wants he thinks i don't know it's just now it's like okay cool that's a nice moment whatever whatever but i still don't care for it it's um it's a disgrace and not what you're supposed to do there's unwritten rules, and they broke every single one of them. And uh, it is what it is, I guess. But it's just, I don't know, not my thing. No, I'll go along with all of that. Yeah, just uh, Nash never <laughs> cared about the inner workings, I don't think, of the business. It was just whatever way to make the best money he can make. And then, uh, obviously, Scott Hall. I feel like he, you know, at one point c- cared about the business and probably still does and probably always did. But uh, he probably just uh, wasn't happy. Wasn't in a good place, and we all know he has other issues or had other issues. Yeah, and I'm sure it all played a part into some of the things uh, going on with Scott Hall here, uh, even in 1996. As we start off Monday Night Raw, May 20th, click free. Well, not exactly click free, but well, half of them are out the door anyway. This is also taped back on April 29th, so airing May 20th, taped back on April 29th. We come a long way with uh, from Raw being live uh, nearly every week. Of course, eventually it will be live again. Uh, every week, but that's uh, thanks to Nitro and, and things like that. Well, right now, we're still in Sioux City, Iowa, Municipal Auditorium. It's the week before In Your House, Beware of Dog. It's coming up this Sunday and Tuesday. We go to the ring. It's Mark Merrow, accompanied by Sable, taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin with Ted DiBiase in his corner. And I don't care what anyone says. I like Steve Austin's first theme music here, Steve. Now, I do agree that with his character evolving, the uh, the music that everybody's come to know and love, matches him better but here this stone cold character this more just straightforward i don't give a shit i kill people character 
I thought this this music fit this character better. Yeah, I like it too. Matt action to begin things. Mark Merrow takes over. He tries a somersault plancha. Austin runs off out of the way. Uh, Merrow then has to flip back into the ring. Now, see, this is what I was talking about. Earlier, we saw Dave Taylor go outside. He fought with Chris Benoit outside. He had to get back in the ring, Steve. So what does he do? He climbs up on the apron. He flips back in the ring. It's a little heat. Mark Merrow here literally has no reason whatsoever to jump to the apron, but he jumps to the apron anyway. Why does he jump to the apron? Just so he can flip back into the ring and show everybody that he can flip back into the ring. It doesn't really bother me that much. It just shows you two different people's thought process. Uh, Dave Taylor, everything has to make sense. Mark Merrow, I can do flashy things, so I'm just going to do them. So I just, I'm sorry if I built that up like it was going to be something bigger than that, but I just thought that was <laughs> really interesting. Yeah. Uh, it makes you wonder, too, like, did Merrow do it because he was trying to do that plunger and give a fan something to pop for, and he wasn't able to. So he's like, I'll just flip back in the ring, give him something. But it's, it, what's the point? When you just get back in I the think ring it was, hey, look what I learned. Yeah, I think it was, hey, look what I learned how to do this week. Because I don't know that he'd done it yeah. prior to this. Back inside, the yeah. action continues. Merrow runs into a stun gun from Steve Austin on the corner buckle. It was a nasty shot, too. Good stun gun yeah. by Austin there on that top buckle. Austin takes over on the offense. Merrow tosses the floor as we go into commercial. Back from break, they're inside the ring. Austin continues to dominate. Merrow tries a sleeper for a hope spot, but he winds up getting uh, hit with the jawbreaker. Kind of a Stone Cold Stunner, only it's a jawbreaker, I know, but I was kind of open for it here. Mark Merrow breaks the chin lock, makes the comeback. DiBiase then trips Merrow up from the floor. Austin nails a knee to the back, and Austin goes up top. He's going to launch off onto Mark Merrow, but no, it's Savio Vega from the back, and he attacks Steve Austin with the strap. They have a Caribbean strap match coming up at the pay-per-view. Savio Vega nails Austin, interferes in the match, causing the disqualification. Austin picks up the win over Mark Merrow by DQ in 10 minutes. Merrow is uh, not happy, Steve. He's kind of standing behind Savio. Savio's watching Austin. Savio turns around, begins to explain himself. They immediately cut away. I was a little bummed because I wanted to see Savio explain his way out of that. Yeah, that would have been a bad, a bad uh, little match there. That would have been pretty entertaining, I think. Savio, Mark Merrow. Yeah, I agree. At this point, right? not, not like Los Bariquas and... TKO marvelous. Mark Merrow. But, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, marvelous. But uh, Savio here and Mark Merrow here, yeah, absolutely. That'd be a fun match. So last week we retreated to a Kuwaiti video. This week, another Kuwait video, which morphs into Ahmed Johnson's music playing. And then finally, it just turns into a straight up Ahmed Johnson Kuwaiti Cup as uh, Vince proclaims Ahmed Johnson a savior, a savior of Kuwait. Ahmed Johnson. Wow. Kuwaiti Cup champion Ahmed Johnson as Vince shouts, let freedom ring. <laughs> <laughs> Less said about that, the better. We can, we can move on. <laughs> we will move on with Warrior Man here. Warrior Man. Yesterday was the launching of the Ultimate Warrior's new comic book called Warrior. Warrior Man here. Vince McMahon then announces the debut of the word Destrucity. The Ultimate Warrior rocking Destrucity. God, you'd hear Bruce Pritchard need, talk about Destrucity. Uh, I need one of those autographed comic books. My goodness. I don't ever want to see one of those comic books. I think I ended up with one of those for free at some point. I just, I, 
20 uh, some years ago. I don't, I, I don't need the, I don't need a comic book, but I'll take an autograph when that thing's like 700 bucks. From, oh ridiculous. my God. I think, uh, you know, Bruce talks about, Bruce Pritchard talks about how many they made. It was some insane amount and they didn't sell. I mean, they'd be toilet paper probably somewhere back then. Jeez. Back to the ring. It's Salvio Vega. We just saw him run out here during the Steve Austin match. Salvio Vega taking on the one, two, three kid also managed by Ted DiBiase. The kid shows off his abs on the way to the ring, getting into shape here. This is the one, two, three kid. Ted DiBiase carries out the chauffeur cap as he plans on uh, Savio having to wear that cap should Austin beat Savio in the strap match at the pay-per-view this coming Sunday. The rules state that Savio has to become Ted DiBiase's chauffeur for a day. As uh, DiBiase joins commentary for this match, Savio controls early on with a chin lock. DiBiase distracts, and the one, two, three kid takes over, takes Vega's head off with, with a nasty karate kick. Kid then hits a running drop kick in the corner. Top rope splash gets a two count. Kid controls the match, but Vega fires up, kicks out of the corner, and a Uranagi with a two count from Savio Vega here on the kid. The kid then counters a backdrop with a spin kick to Vega's head, but misses a top rope splash for the second time. Savio then with a nice cradle gets the win eight and a half minutes. Post match, Steve Austin attacks Vega. Vega fights back. Kid and Austin then double team Savio to take him down, tie him up with the strap as Ted DiBiase puts the chauffeur hat on Savio Vega to build up heat for the pay-per-view. Notice Mark Miro's not out here making the save for Savio. Of course not. <laughs> man, Savio hit that spin kick in the corner and yeah. sent both of them over the top rope. Man, it was awesome. I love the post-match angle, too. Um, it was a great way to build even more heat on this feud. I mean, Savio's a, a lightning rod and uh, could really get the passion and the fire going. So, um Seeing him get taken down and tied up like that can really, really help. I think add a little bit more heat to this one. Um, I don't know if the crowd's into it, like they probably should be, or what they expected. But right. I, I enjoy this feud. It's damn good. Well, I tell you what, they bust their ass in the actual match. That's for sure. The oh, yeah. match. It's the best best story out of all the matches on the pay per view. <laughs> best match on the far. Yeah. Well, yeah, that too, but. So I mentioned it in the news part of this uh, segment, but last night at Madison Square Garden, the Godwins, uh, we see clips of the Godwins in the locker room. They're actually Hillbilly Jim and Henry are locked out of their own locker room, and then they open it up, and out comes Sonny, who had been in the locker room with Phineas Godwin. I'll let you guys keep your jokes to yourself there. And then we see clips of the tag team title match. Sonny with her body down is defending the titles against the Godwins. Sonny distracts Phineas repeatedly, Throughout the match, finally she climbs up onto the apron, but Phineas, he kisses one, uh, Sonny. He plants one right on her. Sonny drops down. He still nails the slop drop on Zip, and we have new tag team champions, Henry and Phineas Godwin, the new WWF tag team champions. Then it's back to Raw. Jim Ross interviews Paul Bearer with the golden casket. Bearer says the Undertaker is ready for in your house. Jim Ross wants to speak with the Undertaker. Bearer obliges. Where do you think he is? In the casket? That's right. Undertaker pops out of the casket, sits up in the casket. He says he's going to seal the fate of Goldust in this casket and in your house, and then out of nowhere, slam on the Undertaker from behind. It's Mankind who closes the casket on the Undertaker. Boy, talk about making the Undertaker look like an absolute idiot. I, I love this for all the wrong reasons. It just makes the Undertaker look like a complete ass. And he's sitting up cutting a, a dead man promo. And Mankind's just like, yeah, I'm just going to fucking close the lid on you, bitch. 
Mankind then ties straps around the casket, keeping the Undertaker from being able to get out of the, the coffin here, and then knocks the casket over and begins beating it with a steel rod. I don't know what kind of damage that did to the Undertaker, but I found this all hilarious. As Goldust stalks Paul Bearer around ringside, Jim Ross even tries to help the Undertaker out of the casket, but Mankind, with the uh, steel pole, uh, Jim Ross backs off. He doesn't get involved, and all it does is dent the casket up quite a bit. I love that he tipped it over. It made me laugh even more, but the visual of him just close to the casket on the Undertaker, like, oh, I know how to solve this problem. I, it was funny to me. <laughs> yeah, like, why would you put yourself in the casket to where you're you have no defense. Like you can't protect yourself in that situation. So it does make Undertaker look like a complete idiot. It's like angle alert just flashing on the screen at that point. No, a decent little angle is funny. I enjoyed it. I, I still remember this when it happened live. So clearly something happened that made it memorable for me. So um, it's like they want to continue this Undertaker mankind storyline without you forgetting that there's an Undertaker Mankind storyline, but they need a month off as far as a wrestling match goes. So they've got Goldust kind of wedged in here, but it's Mankind attacking last week of the Mandible Claw and, and beating on the Undertaker in the casket this week, even though the, the match is supposed to be the Undertaker and Goldust to, uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, they're trying to figure out a way to get through it. This is not something they usually do, just pass you on to somebody for a pay-per-view match just so you can stall to get to where you want to get to. That didn't happen. So Now, these guys will continue to go at it basically for the duration of the rest of the year, The Undertaker Mankind, as we head into main event time here. But before it's uh, we get to the match, it's Shawn Michaels to ringside for commentary. But wait, no, it's not. Jim Cornette is out with Clarence Mason, the British Bulldog, and his wife Diana. Clarence Mason has drawn up some legal papers, Steve, a restraining order to keep Shawn Michaels 100 yards away from Diana Smith, so he can't be out here for commentary after all, it seems this week. But WWF President Gorilla Monsoon to ringside as Howard Finkel announces that Monsoon's decision is he agrees. The papers are legal. They are binding. There is a restraining order in place for 100 yards between Shawn Michaels and Diana Smith. They are valid. So Gorilla orders Diana Smith to leave ringside so that Shawn Michaels can come out and commentate. I wrote, I loved it. I, it just felt like a gorilla thing to do. <laughs> yep, that's gorilla. So instead of waiting for Diana go, to go all the way to the back, of course, Shawn Michaels' music hits, and he passes her right in the aisleway because that's a good idea. That's what we do with the restraining orders here in the World Wrestling Federation. And then it's match time. And as good as the Flair and Guerrero match was on Nitro, this may be the worst shit I've had to sit through in a very long time as the British Bulldog takes on Jake the Snake Roberts. Shawn Michaels joins commentary, and like Ric Flair did on Nitro, Shawn basically just wants to put himself over here. He's talking about dealing with character assassination. Uh, he's a good man, Steve. Shawn Michaels is a good man. They're adding to this, uh, this Michaels angle here by discussing, mentioning that Marty Jannetty, Shawn's old partner, has been talking about Sean, all the things Sean used to do in their, their past as the Rockers. Sean admits to parting with Marty, but they were young then, Steve, and it was okay to rape girls back in those days. Yes, I said it. Anyways, if you read it, it must be true, says Sean Michaels, referring to things like The Observer, I suppose, <laughs> about his character. Again, character assassination. Uh, did I mention there was a match in the ring? Uh, you wouldn't know it based on Sean on commentary, nor would you know it based on actually watching this match in the ring. Jake, 
The snake sends the bulldog outside of the ring early, but bulldog takes over on the bum leg of Jake Roberts. Jake looks absolutely gassed uh, as he finally tries to come back, nails a short clothesline. He signals for the DDT, but bulldog right back to the leg. It's at this point during commentary that Jerry Lawler announces Shawn Michaels pose for Playgirl magazine today. Blech. I won't even comment any further on that. This goes on forever. 11 fucking minutes of Bulldog sitting on Jake the Snake's knee before Diana Smith finally comes back out, but we go into a commercial break. And when we come back, Diana throws a cup of water into the face of Shawn Michaels, breaking her own restraining order in the process, by the way, Steve. Shawn says he'd never hit a woman. So he nails Jim Cornette. Bulldog then launches himself on Michaels, blasts Michaels, and boom, random end immediately. We go right into it just cuts out. That's the end of Raw. She throws water in Michael's face. Michael hits Cornette. Bulldog hits Michaels. And we just go straight to black. That's how Raw ends. I wrote, what the fuck just happened? Wham, bam! What the fuck just happened? Demelt <laughs> says, the finish of Smith versus Roberts match on Raw, uh, it was Jake the Snake winning by a countout. After the Bulldog was on the outside attacking Shawn Michaels, the show went off the air with the match in progress. It didn't make much sense to have Smith lose on TV, even count out, uh, even if he wasn't pinned in his final TV match before the world title shot at In Your House. So I get the logic there, I suppose, but this was all sorts of awful. I don't know what they thought they were doing here to sell the pay-per-view. Uh, to be 100% truthful in this situation, I wasn't even really paying attention to the match. Like, Lawler and Sean were talking so damn much. Like, you just kind of forget the match was even going on. All I remember was, like, Bulldog working the leg for the majority of the match, and there's a short-arm clothesline there Some at some point. That's about the well, whole match, that, yeah. I, that's, that's the match in a nutshell. Just, I was just listening to Sean and Lawler go back and forth. Uh, not like that was much better. It kind of distracted you from the terrible match, so whoever thought that was a good idea was right. I will say at the beginning of the match, there was a, uh, Sean said, I would never have anything to do with a married woman. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess taking, I take it, I guess taking a dude's girlfriend that he's been with forever that even though they're not married is okay though. But, um, I digress. It, it was ridiculous. He's t like, it was just him trying to put himself over. And what's funny is like, it almost felt like he really didn't have a comeback for Lawler. Like Lawler was laying it on really good. And he didn't really have a comeback for a lot of this stuff. It was just like, yeah, I did some of these things. Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I did pay clothes for Playgirl. Yeah, I did have wild days when I was with Marty Jannetty. Yeah, I did all this stuff. Doesn't mean I'm cheating on, you know, taking married women and having an affair with them. Yeah, I'm not Max so. Moon. He's just my buddy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I don't know, man. This whole This whole story is just utter shit. Like, I would have been good if I just turned this shit off at the Undertaker <laughs> segment. I would have been fine. I didn't yeah. miss anything. So, segment of the night, Steve. Mero versus Austin. Savio versus The Kid. Mankind makes a fool of The Undertaker. Gorilla makes a fool of Diana. Or, hell, Ahmed Johnson, savior of Kuwait. <laughs> Definitely not any of that garbage. Um, I'm just going to give it kind of like what you did uh, for last week's episodes. I'm going to give the, the MVP to... Steve Austin and Savio Vega, uh, just a combination. Ooh, that's good. Um, they're both of their matches, uh, were, were solid. And then the angles afterwards, I really liked them. 
is the this is the best build to the best match on the show for the pay per view. I think because it's it's based in wrestling. It's just two young up and comers trying to get the upper hand on each other and trying to make each other look good and build each other up. And it's believable. It works. Uh, I've always enjoyed this short little mini feud that Austin had before he kind of just gets the the big rub in a in a month. The rest of the stuff I just do not care about. I don't care about Goldust and Undertaker. I don't care about the story between Sean and Bulldog. It's just shit. And then the Godwins, no thanks. So yeah, up and um, up and down, man. The, the storylines are awful. The matches are. Awful. And I don't mean these raw matches. There's a couple of decent matches here, but I mean like the the matches they're they're booking for the pay per view just sound awful on paper. Sean and Bulldog, I don't you know this doesn't really. I don't remember delivering here in in, in this match anyway. I don't remember at all, really, to be fair. But, yeah, the only thing I really have enjoyed is the Austin Savio stuff. Their matches have been fantastic every time they get out, go out there and ha- have a match. And I re- this strap match is uh, phenomenal. The only thing that I could have yeah. done without was the nonsensical chauffeur hat and garbage. It's like it adds nothing to this. There's no point. In it. I get DiBiase's rich and Savio's foreign, so to speak. I mean, quote-unquote foreign. He's from Puerto Rico. But... I mean, I, I get where they're going and their storyline here, but it just it didn't need to be there. When did they add the the next part to it? Is that the month next weekend, Monday? Or? Next Monday. Oh, they get you to buy the pay per view. They have an opportunity to sell it. Okay, all right, cool. So yeah, well, obviously we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but for this week, I'm gonna agree with you. I, I man, I hate to cheat twice in the same show. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best That's never okay. to cheat again. Yeah, I'm never I'm gonna do my best never to cheat again. I'm gonna try well, to pick dude, a segment. Dude, some of these shows are pretty rough, and it's gonna be almost impossible to pick something good. Yeah. So segment <laughs> of the night for me. Let's be real. <laughs> if I had to go match wise, I just I feel like Savio and Kid could have been so much yeah. better than it was. Um, Kid, rather, I wonder how bad Kid off was. How 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 bad off he was yeah. going into this match. Because he's go, been dealing with concussions, right? Yeah, and he's also been dealing with other things like, you know, illegal substances and, and things like that as well. Mankind made me laugh. I'll give him that much. But um, match-wise, if I had to pick a match, I'd go Marrow and Austin probably. But at the same time, I don't want to pick a match. I'd rather just pick the stuff with Austin and Savio, all good stuff there. Uh, looking forward to their, their match and watching that Caribbean strap match as part of that In Your House Beware of Dog pay-per-view. But... The ratings they be in WCW Nitro at 7 p.m. Worked 90 minute show at 7 to 8.30 this week. Did a 2.3 rating and a 4.5 share. While Raw, unopposed at 9, did a 3.1 rating and a 4.7 share. So Raw 3.1, Nitro 2.3. We won't see a lot of these Raw wins very soon here. But for right now, WWF has been owning WCW, especially since they've been on at 7 p.m. here. So when you're on a pose and you have the audience already built in, you're going to have good numbers. That's not unexpected. Real winner here for you, Steve. Is it raw or nitro? Or do I even need to bother to ask? You don't need to ask, but I'll, I'll just give you what I put down here. I'm just going to go with nitro. Um, kind of like last week, I, I thought Luger going through the table was the best thing I've seen. Uh, as far as something that's memorable, Flair and Eddie was the best thing out of both shows this time. I, I didn't mind his commentary. I thought he did just enough of putting certain guys over to not make it overbearing. DDP coming out of nowhere made no sense. It's stupid. 
I don't, it doesn't matter because they don't care about it. So it's whatever. Um, I thought that Steiner's wasn't as good as the first time, the second time around compared to the first, but it was decent. Uh, the tag title match I thought was actually, like you said on paper, this is, could be dangerous, but, uh, it was actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, but I will say, I'm going to give Raw some credit. Like what they're doing to build these matches isn't bad per se. I just don't like how they're getting there. Like the matches themselves should be okay, I think, but just the the way they're getting to these matches is just driving me nuts, and I I can't stand it, and it's killing these shows for me, to the point to where Nitro is just gonna win by default until this shit's over, between Sean and Davy Boy. I I just I I don't like it uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I I wasn't then, and I'm not now, and not for any like moral reason. It just doesn't intrigue me as a wrestling fan. Yeah, it's not wrestling. Like, I get the Elizabeth Ric Flair stuff from, like, 92 WWF. It's his wife at that point, and Flair's trying to get with her. So you're defending your honor of your wife. I get that. Even now, like, I understand why Flair is using Liz against Macho. It makes sense. But this just seems like a counteraction to that. We're going to bring in a man's wife and add her to the mix and make an angle out of it. And it's just making you – why would you want your – champion like now we live in a world where if you're accused of something you're pretty much guilty of it whether it's true or not that's how it feels so why would you accuse your world champion of being a womanizer and going through all this trouble to expose him as being this terrible human being outside of the ring and then they never really do anything to dispute it what do they do is they just let him talk and say i don't do this stuff like Vince got accused of pushing steroids, so what did they do? They gave us a 12-minute video about uh, all the charity work that he does and the, the medals he wins, but they're leaving their champion out to dry, and it makes absolutely no sense. It's terrible booking. It make, it's just horrible. I, I do not like it. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. It's even worse now. It's pretty pathetic when you have somebody the quality of the Bulldog. I mean, that's the, the story writes itself. He's the British Bulldog. Give him a title shot. There you go. <laughs> End of the yep. story. I don't know why it needs all this extra play here it's uh definitely doesn't work for me either and the real winner absolutely is monday night show not only was that tag match with sting and luger and ming and barbarian pretty okay compared to what i was expecting but that eddie and flair match just stole the show probably for all four of these shows we covered here today and uh speaking of covering four shows steve um we're changing format here on monday warfare going forward (laughs) after (laughs) after this after this episode of Monday Warfare, we're changing formats because Nitro goes to two hours next week, May 27th, 1996, and things will never, Historic. ever be the same again, to quote somebody somewhere. Hope I spelled it right. Anyways, starting next week here <laughs> on Monday Warfare, the battles within, we're going to be doing one week of Nitro and one week of Raw every week. Uh, here on Money Warfare to give all of the storylines, the matches, the the angles, the, the news, and everything in between the proper time here on the show. So we're going to be covering one week at a time, Raw versus Nitro. The real battles begin now as WCW goes to two hours, the NWO right around the corner. I'm hearing rumors, hearing rumors here that uh, maybe uh, Scott Hall might be showing up here pretty soon in WCW as well. So uh, looking forward to the new format, and I can't wait to see what WCW does on a weekly basis here to counteract Raw, not just to counteract Raw, but what they do with that much time on their TV program. So it's going to be interesting to see 
what changes and uh, what we get to see here on the upcoming two-hour format here on Nitro. As we slow down our format on Monday Warfare, Nitro picking up an extra hour. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it gives us more time to discuss things other than like what's on TV. And I think we need to start. I don't know who, if one of us can do this or what, but I think I, not not right now, but I think we should start making a list of where things fall apart. Like we can start seeing the kinks in the armor and say, okay, they messed up here. They messed up there. I think that'd be something cool that we can add to it, but it's a lot of work and we don't just want to throw shit together unprepared and just say, yeah, I remember that. That's cool. And have one of us remind each other what happened. No, we really take the time and effort to watch these shows and get as much information as possible. So it's our opinions, but it's based on fact and what we see. And hopefully from the sounds of it, you guys like it. So uh, stick with us. We got some more coming. Lots more coming as we're only in May of 1996. <laughs> Long way to go wow. here in the um, battles within, so, so to speak. Uh, but for this week, Ray Russell and Steve Ekstad had a blast here covering the final two episodes of Nitro and two episodes of Raw as the, again, the 60-minute format Nitro goes to two hours and Raw. It'll stay 60 minutes at least until 1997, so we've got that to look forward to anyway. February, right? Yeah, it's somewhere around there. It sounds about right. I think the I Lost My Smile is actually the first. No, that's Thursday, Raw Thursday. Never mind. Well, luckily, it's February, though. It's a ways off, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, thank God for that. (laughs) So I want to thank you guys. I look forward. Things are really heating up, and I'm not just saying that for our show. I mean, literally, they're really heating up here, especially with WCW. You know what's coming. Hall, Nash, the NWO, uh, the Cruiserweights, the the, uh, Luchadors, all kinds of good stuff coming up here in WCW. And WWF, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, I mean, I, I remember the pay-per-views. I just don't remember how we get to those pay-per-views sometimes. So uh, it's going to be fun to go back through time and check all this out. Steve, thanks again. Uh, no problem, man. It's been fun. All right, guys. We'll be back next week with one episode of Nitro, one episode of Raw, here on Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. <laughs>